Hey everybody, Matt, Jess and Dave here. Sorry Jess, just butting in quickly to let the listeners know that I'm going to be in Sydney uh, this week coming up the 8th to the 12th of May and uh, you can get tickets now via mattsfieldcomedy.com then going straight to Brisbane on the 16th to the 19th. So tickets for my show Dry Dryer. In Sydney and Melbourne. Sorry, Matt, I'll just cut you off there. I just need to tell everyone that our quiz show, our web series is out right now. Do go on the quiz show. You can see it on Stupid Old Channel for free on YouTube. Type in, do go on the quiz show, and you can see three episodes right now covering topics like Google, Queen Victoria, the Olympics, and we've got five more episodes coming up. So like and subscribe, whatever that means. They are big topics too. And I said Sydney and Melbourne. I meant Sydney and Brisbane. Anyway, let's get on with the show. I'm still here too. (laughs) Oh, hey, Jess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, mate, it's just Matt here. Quickly, before the show starts, let you know I'm doing some stand-up shows around Australia coming up. Uh, There's one in Brisbane on the 14th of July. I think that's sold out. But just announce a new one in Adelaide on the 15th of July at the Rhino Room. I would love to see you there. Also, uh, the taping of the show um, is happening at the Stupid Old Studios on the 29th of July. That's Thursday, the 29th of July. Two sessions at 6.30 and 8.30. So it'd be great to uh, see you come along. If you're a good laugher, why not come to both shows? Uh, it will be almost exactly the same show, but bloody hell. Why not do it anyway? All right, so go to mattstuartcomedy.com for details and, and ticket links and use the discount code Do Go On or one word, and it would be great to see you there. Now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnke, and as always, I'm here with Matt Stewart and, yes, Jess Perkins. G'day, Dave, you little ripper. Alrighty. Yes, True blue. Jess Perkins. <laughs> Perko. And no Matt Stewart. <laughs> no Matt Stewart. <laughs> Stop. It's so good to be here, Dave. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. We've got a report coming up soon, but before we do that, we've got a couple of Show's coming up. Mm. We are back out there. And the first one is accessible anywhere in the world. We are doing our 300th episode and we are live streaming it right here from Stupid Old Studios. And uh, you can get a ticket and watch it anywhere in the world. It is Saturday, July the 10th. If you are uh, 
in Melbourne, mm-hmm. 8.30pm that time. But you can watch anywhere in the world, as I said, and you can watch it live or you can watch it on demand, on catch-up. Yeah, if it ends up being like 3am in your neck of the woods and you're a nerd who wants to go to bed and not stay up for something sick, um, you can watch it later when you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. And as well as doing the episode, we're also going to be doing an exclusive little party slash tr- quiz that I've been preparing. Oh, that you've been preparing? Yeah, that's right, for years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And by that, I mean assuming the identity of Dave Warnicky. Oh. That's not my real name. Oh, no. I'm just going undercover for quiz purposes. Wow. He's so dedicated to the quiz. So stay tuned for that, everyone. Uh, 300th episode, July 10th. But if you'd like to see us live and in the flesh, Ooh. you can come see us. We're excited to be part of the lineup for the first ever Great Australian Podcast Festival happening on November 6 and 7 at the iconic Palais Theatre in Melbourne. Very exciting. How cool is that? Um, I've seen a lot of great bands there. I saw Mossy there. Uh, last year, I saw the Carl Barron there. I saw <laughs> Ross Noble ago. there. There you go, big names. Big names. Oh, I saw the Fleet Foxes there. Get out of town. What else have I seen? And there? soon to see Do Go On there. Do Go On. Do go Heaps on. of great people there as I well. I assume we've got the main room <laughs> <laughs> booked for the whole weekend. Yes. <laughs> Forty-eight hours. Nothing <laughs> going to stop us. You think we could share the same stage as Mossy? Yeah. Why not? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big Saturday night show for us, which uh, means anything could happen. It is Saturday, November 6th from 8 till 9pm. Ooh, the witching hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, tickets are on sale Thursday, July the 1st, which is uh, this coming week, or this week, at 1pm from australianpodcastfestival.com.au. And uh, I'll put a link to that and also to sospresents.com, which is where you can buy tickets to the live stream. Check it out. It's in the description of this episode. Can't wait to do a couple of shows. All right. Well, before we uh, get into the report, we should explain how the show works. Mm. Jess, do you want to tell the audience what, what we do here? I do. What we do is one of us goes away for a long time, probably about a week, and they research a topic they write up a, a cute little report about it. They bring it back to the other two who politely listen but often interrupt with tangents. And we always start with a question. This week it is Matt's turn to do a report. Matt, what is your question? My question is, according to the American Film Institute, what is perhaps the most famous and best-loved fantasy film ever made? Oh! <sighs> okay, when you say fantasy... Sexual fantasy? <laughs> the Yeah, the the film is Dave Warnicky <laughs> doing a quiz in front of the Pope. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's my fantasy. <laughs> Hang on, what was the what, the best loved? The... Best loved, most famous and best loved fantasy film ever made. But I like how they put in perhaps. But also, it's like, and the Academy Award for best loved fantasy film yeah. goes to, like it's so non-specific. <laughs> Like, well, is I mean, it just going to be a cult classic kind of thing? Uh, but, I mean, it's it's beyond cult classic. It really broke through to the mainstream. Am I going to know it? Uh, yes. But, I mean, throw some out there. What, what are some fantasy films you're thinking? Star Wars. Yeah, it's not Star Wars. Fantasy. Then I was thinking Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Lord of the Rings. I just remember we've already done Star Wars. Yeah, we've also done Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. And then I was thinking... <laughs> we've done so many now. Then I was thinking Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and you've done that on BookCheap. Yeah. Um, fantasy, fantasy. This is also book-related, Dave. So oh. there is a. this is a movie from a book. Oh, is it Dune? 
Possibly the worst film I've ever seen. No, that's a month, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking films. Bit of fun there. Uh, There's a wizard in it. Okay. Harry Potter. (laughs) Uh, All right, Matt, where are they from? uh, They're from a magical land. Uh huh. Sort of sounds like a shortening of Australia. Fantasia? (laughs) (laughs) All right, come on, one of you, help me out here. Uh, The Wizard of Aussie. I'm going to have to pay Jess there, but I really feel like neither of you deserve a point. The Wizard of Ozzy. Wizard of Ozzy. Leaving me out. Come on. Hanging to dry. Oh, How early on did you know what I was talking about there, you fuckos? No, nah, I genuinely didn't get it. Now I feel like an idiot. Of course, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Love it. Oh, that film that perhaps is the best love. Perhaps the most famous and best love fantasy I was going to ask for, like, give me a year, and that I reckon I would have got that. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Give me a year. Yeah. <laughs> What year is it? 1939. Wow. Wow. Great things happened that year. <laughs> oh, it was the start of a lot of big things. A lot of big and much loved. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was the most famous and best love event to happen <laughs> in 1939? Uh, fantasy event. We got it. Very important. Uh, so this was suggested by multiple people, as you'd probably expect. Billy in England. Hannah White from Orange in Australia. Sandy Tye from Ballarat, also in Australia. Megan Castle or Castle from Guthrie, Oklahoma, in the United States. Isidore Lorat or Lorray from Paris, France, or Paris, Francais. <laughs> uh, Tom Murray from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Hilary McKay from Wellington, New Zealand, and Tristan Thornton from London, England. That's a great list of people. Uh, so, the movie from 1939 was based on one of the most popular children's books ever written, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. So, I'll start the story there. Uh, the original book, written by L. Frank Baum. Am I saying that right, Dave? I think it's Baum. <laughs> Baum. <laughs> Baum. <laughs> Baum. Chicka wow wow. Baum. Was published in May of 1900. Wow. With illustrations by www. No, sorry, www. <laughs> Denslow. Uh, I want. I thought because I I didn't know. I've never read the book. No. And uh, I've always been jealous of Dave summarising books. So I thought <laughs> <laughs> different to Dave though. I haven't read it, uh, but I will still summarise it by reading from Britannica. Okay. Great. The the people source. Yes. You know. Do you know people can do that, Dave? Is they can just look up synopsis <laughs> of I, books. Dave, that. That is what you do, right? You don't I, actually read these books. I've often thought if if I just copy and pasted one, would anyone call me out on it? Probably not. Probably not. But I live in fear. <laughs> and so I read the books. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Well, pe- people who don't know, Dave does a podcast, spin-off podcast from this show called Book Cheat, where he uh, reads the classics so you don't have to. Highly recommended. Um we, maybe one day you'll do The Wizard of Oz and you'll summarise it probably better and in more depth than this. There's only right. a few paragraphs. Well, this is going to be embarrassing when people realise I do just copy and paste Britannica. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do release an episode down the track that just starts now. Welcome to Book Cheat. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw it over to Matt this time. <laughs> okay, so this is from Britannica. Dorothy is a young girl who lives in a one-room house in Kansas with the careworn Uncle Henry and Aunt Em. The joy of her life is her dog, Toto. A sudden cyclone strikes, and by the time Dorothy catches Toto, she is unable to reach the storm cellar. There are still, uh, they are still in the house when the cyclone carries it away for the long journey. When at last the house lands, 
Dorothy finds that she is in a beautiful land inhabited by very short, strangely dressed people. They're about uh, her height, so very short as in child height, and that's everyone. Mm-hmm. In the movie, there's everyone's got different heights, but apparently in the book, eh, there's a little fun difference there. I think it would actually be quite unnerving to land somewhere else and everyone's the same height, <laughs> yeah. exactly the same. Oh, yeah. Like, the three of us, similar-ish. Matt's quite a bit taller than us, but, you know, like, it's not crazy. It's not a huge difference. Everyone was the same. What's going Very on? spooky. Because <laughs> it'd take you a while to notice, too. You'd be like, coincidence, coincidence. Hang on a second. Hang you'd go in a crowd. You'd be seeing a gig or something. Oh. Everyone's the same. And then you're, you're, you're in this magical land, okay? <laughs> There's witches yeah, and yeah, magic yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and everyone's the same. Oh. And then you just get out the measuring tape and you're like, it's down to the millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> this is even wild. The, even the haircut. <laughs> no one's got an afro or anything here. It's all the same height. No one's got curly hair. Hang on a second. It's all just a short back and sides. <laughs> even the women and children. <laughs> Are they all the clones? <laughs> that baby is the same height as that man. <laughs> Yet somehow I still know it's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Very difficult to get picked up by a mum and dad as a baby. You're the same height. Sorry, Matt. Did I derail too early? Did I focus on the wrong part? No, no, certainly not. That's just odd, isn't it? I also love that she's living in a, a one bedroom house. Yeah. But they've also got the cellar. Yeah. I it's mean, like, just put on a room. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even a one bedroom house, it's a one room. One house. room, yeah. Just Everything drink, in one. Do you think it has a bathroom, Matt? It's got a when bathroom, you, has to be. When separate. you read this book, did they mention the bathroom? No, uh, I imagine an outhouse. We're talking. Oh, I mean, this was written in the late eighteen hundreds, right? Like, so they had one room, houses, but, but there's also an outhouse. There's also a cellar. Yeah. There's also like an out rumpus right, room. They've got a cinema, <laughs> <laughs> just not connected to the house. But they all sleep in one big bed. <laughs> so when she lands, the witch of the north informs her that she is in the land of the Munchkins, who are grateful to her for having killed the wicked witch of the east because the house had landed on the witch. People who've seen the movie will be familiar with some of these parts. Some bits are uh, different, like in the film. I'll talk more about some of the differences later, but in the film there's, they don't, we don't see the witch of the north. They just mush together the, the south and north witches into Glinda. Do they mush her by physically mush house? Her, yep. Landing on <laughs> they her. mush her with a house. <laughs> um no, they mush half of one and then half of the other. And so the two halves that are left over form. Form one. But uh, amazingly, still exactly the same height. Yeah, that's the Everyone. weird thing, isn't so it? Weird. It's so weird. It's so weird. In the book, there's four quadrants, north, south, east and west. Right. For some reason, the north and south are ruled by good witches and the east and west by uh, wicked witches. And um, so the north is the munchkins, I think. Um, then there's so each one has a different um, like species of people or whatever. Um, but anyway, the Munchkins are grateful that uh, Dorothy has helped kill their evil ruler, the Wicked Witch of the East, and so that freed the Munchkins. Uh, the Witch of the North gives Dorothy the silver shoes. Huh? Interesting. <gasps> what? So were silver shoes in the book. Yuck. Uh, and the dead witch. Uh, the Silver Shoes from the Dead Witch and advises her to go to the City of Emeralds to see the Great Wizard of Oz, who might help her return to Kansas. So she's murdered a woman and she's stolen her shoes. <laughs> and then she's on a road trip. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> All right. How much do we trust, trust this narrator? Yeah, that's... Mm. 
Okay, yeah, everyone was praising you for killing this evil woman. <laughs> yeah. And they demanded you take her shoes. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible defence lawyer. Yep, that's what my client says. <laughs> uh, the witch sends Dorothy off along the yellow brick road with a magical kiss to protect her from harm. A so magical a, kiss. Yeah, so in the film, uh, the witch Glinda does kiss her on the head, but she doesn't say this is a magical kiss to protect you from harm. Just a little nod there to the book. Oh, I see. Bit of fun. You're supposed uh, to read into it, are you? Well, so say, wow, that kiss looked pretty magical. <laughs> that looked like a protective kiss. <laughs> so I kiss. say every night, I say, hey, come here, give me a magical kiss. <laughs> so I don't die in my sleep. <laughs> protect you while you sleep. It wears off by tomorrow. Give me another one. <laughs> Let's start again. On the long journey to the Emerald City, Dorothy and Toto are joined by the Scarecrow, who wishes he had brains, the Tin Woodman, who longs for a heart. I always thought tin it was the Tin Man. man. Tin but, Woodman. But it was the Tin Woodman. Tin Woodman. It's like, yeah. it's like an alloy. Yeah, well... Tin mixed with wood. Um, so in the in the book, the Tin Woodman, the Tin, tin Man, Tin Woodman's backstory was actually... Is his last name started, Woodman? <laughs> yeah, Tim Woodman. Mr. Tim Woodman. Tim. <laughs> tim Woodman. <laughs> tim the Woodman Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that actually, that show was actually a callback to yeah. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, if you get it, you get it. Yeah, you know, the three kids were like the, the the lion and the, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Randy was the lion. <laughs> Who was JTT? That was Randy, Dave. Grow up, man. So, I'm on lion. first name terms with it. Well, I'm on initial Initials. name terms with it. <laughs> but so the Tin Woodman in the book started off as a human. Yeah. And um, was going to hook up with a munchkin, but the munchkin's mum or something like that, or whoever, the woman that the munchkin lived with didn't want the munchkin to, to leave because she was lazy <laughs> and that munchkin did a lot of good work ah. around the house. So she got the Wicked Witch to curse the Tin Woodman's axe, which made the axe cut off his limbs and oh, one, bit by bit. And then a guy, a man about town um, rebuilt him with tin. That's, that's messed that's up. That's how the, the story goes. In the movie, it's just, oh, he's a tin man. Was it? Oh, okay. In the movie, was he not a man? Originally. Oil crown. Yeah. No, he was just, yeah, he was just, just a was rusted just... out tin man. Yeah, right. That's messed up for a kid's book. Yeah, it's it's actually quite a bit more messed up, the book, than the curse film this probably. Axe to hack you to pieces. <laughs> Your favourite axe, too, so it's going to really sting. But in I mean, yeah, it's, it's a different time. And it, I think if you go back to the older fairy <laughs> it's tales. It's a different time. That happened all the time back then. <laughs> you know, like the Brothers Grimm yeah. ones and stuff, they were, they were grim. <laughs> yeah, they were. Were they brothers? Yes. <laughs> you would have loved it, Dave. You love a grim. Oh, no, you're the grim fact, aren't you, Matt? I'm yeah. the grim fact, yeah. Dave's dull fact. I love, it. I love a dull fact. <laughs> and I'm the fun one. So the Tin Woodman, he's longing for a heart because that's the one bit that the guy putting him back together forgot to put in him. So he had like a liver and kidney and all that yes. sort of stuff. Just doesn't have he had a heart. all his other organs except a heart. He put a brain in there. Yeah, tin no brain, heart. I guess. So I think... Or maybe maybe he kept his original brain. I'm not sure. But the um, so they explain in the book a bit more why each character wanted the thing, needed the thing they did. In the book, the scarecrow was only made the day before, and they didn't put a brain in him. So he's like, I don't need a brain. I need I, how will I think of stuff otherwise. And then uh, she meets the cowardly lion who seeks courage. That one's not really explained. Uh, she goes, Why don't you have courage? He's like, I don't know. I just never have. 
Oh. <laughs> Poor lion. Uh, they face many trials along their route, but they overcome them all. Often because of the scarecrow's good sense, the tin woodman's kindness, and the bravery of the cowardly lion. At last, they reach the Emerald City, where the guardian of the gates outfits them with green lens glasses and leads them to the Palace of Oz. Oz tells them that no favours will be granted until the Wicked Witch of the West has been killed. Mm. Well, yeah, that's how they tell the story. (laughs) Yeah, this guy told us we had to kill her. Whatever. She's got bloodlust, yeah. Dorothy. She <laughs> She'll stop kill. at nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and also, did where did you, what dead body did you steal those green glasses from? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Got his, just like a full outfit of her victim. Yeah, <laughs> you see, yeah, the the end of the movie, like you start flashing back to bits <laughs> and how they really happened. <laughs> no, my, my full name is Wicked Kind Witch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wicked kind. <laughs> I'm wicked as in really cool. <laughs> Here's my skateboard. <laughs> I'm doing ta- an ollie right now. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> uh, the companions head to the land of the Winkies. So that's the the western quadrant is the land of the Winkies. And it's full of penises. <laughs> <laughs> full of little penis people. Are they all the same length? <laughs> yes. It's terrifying and unnerving. <laughs> How do I know which one's better? <laughs> Uh, Winky just sounds like something you would call a penis to a yeah. to a, a child. Yeah, I don't know. Did the Winkies make the movie? I, can't, I don't think. I don't, I don't remember know. They they but they, a lot of the characters got changed in the movies as well. Like the Munchkins all wore the same color in the book, but in the movie they were like because they really wanted to make the most of the Technicolor. They dressed them all in vibrant colors. Um, so so they head, head to the land of the Winkies, ruled by the Wicked Witch of the West. The witch sends wolves, crows, bees, and armed winkies to stop them, all to no avail. Penis holding a sword. (laughs) (laughs) Come back here. (laughs) Just kind of shuffling Shuffling along the walls. Yeah, hopping. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. I hope. No, that's that's, that's the seven so dwarfs. Wide, what's yeah. the what's the thing there? Oh, we yo. Is that the winkies? No, I, Dave, can you look up who sings that song in the movie? How do I oh, Google that? <laughs> uh, I reckon I've referenced in that Metallica song from The Simpsons. Yeah, I know it from The Simpsons. Yeah, The Simpsons references it a bit. They also reference um, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Do they do flying monkeys at some stage as well? Too? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Burn sends off flying monkeys, but they all just don't they just fall? I think so. <laughs> That rings a bell. If not, <laughs> is it Simpsons writers? Old reals, old reals. Ah, is what is coming up. And what did you chant. Google to get that? I googled "ow we o we o" and it said, "Did you mean "ow we ow we o Wizard of Oz"?" <laughs> oh my god! Wow. For some reason, I thought it was "all we own we owe." I thought it was like oh. a like a kind of grim thing like that. All we yo. Wheel. Well, I wow. obviously cannot fact check this because I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Sorry, Dave, really put you but, uh, in the hot according seat According to filmschoolrejects.com, 29 things we learned from The Wizard of Oz. Ooh. Contrary to... 29? <laughs> Jess was so, not like sorry. that. Sorry. Learn one more thing. <laughs> Surely you could you could split one of those facts in two. Yeah, Listicles make, do it all the time. Make something kind of cute up at the end. Like make number 30 like... The 30th thing we learned, uh, a wonderful film, you know? Yeah, friendship is magic. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, they are winky guards. They are winkies. Okay, great. They're so most they're commonly the... known for their infamous chant, which goes, Oh, yeah, 
E-O-R. Yeah, that's what these people say. But then the 29 things we learned. Contrary to popular belief, the chant that the guards sing outside of the witch's castle has no hidden meaning. According to the script, it says O-E-R-E-O-R. Ah, so I've, I've just fallen for a myth there. But I think that it feels like everyone is. Do you want me to play it? I, I had to Google the... I don't remember what the winkies looked like. That's ah. a, you know, flaps. They kind of look like mini... Oh, I've got to hear. Maybe I'm picturing sort of almost like British guards or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, what do you hear? Yeah, like green faces. Is that what we're thinking? Green penises? Green penises. Cut. (laughs) (laughs) They're all the same. Right, yeah, so... So they are the Winkies, though, in answer to your question. Right. Yeah, okay. They're, so they're the Winkies. Um, and so the Wicked Witch of the West has sent the Winkies, as well as wolves, crows and bees, to stop the gang, Dorothy and, 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 and the crew. <laughs> so Squad. couldn't get them with the wolves. Couldn't, couldn't get them with the crows. Send in the bees. <laughs> <laughs> they get the job done. Uh so none, none of that works. So she uses her golden cap to summon the winged monkeys. The winged monkeys destroy the cro- scarecrow and the tin woodman and cage the cowardly lion. But they bring Dorothy and Toto to the witch uh, who enslaves Dorothy. The witch wants Dorothy's shoes, which she knows carry powerful magic. She contrives to make Dorothy trip and fall so she can grab one of the shoes. She gets one of the winged monkeys to like bob down behind her. Yeah, <laughs> so this is over. a woman she's enslaved, a child she's enslaved, she can't just take the shoes off her. I th- I, magic's involved, Dave. <laughs> so oh, sorry, right. Jess. Has she glued does he, them? Does he slow us down or what? Yeah, big time. Has she glued them to the soles of her feet? <laughs> yeah, magic glue. Sally's <laughs> 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 magic glue. Um, uh... An angered Dorothy throws a bucket of water at the witch, who then melts away to nothing. So that that's kept for the film. Um, I mean, isn't that's that a bit imagine easy, isn't it? going around being this feared ruler, and a, a rainy day would do, yeah. I guess it doesn't rain there. Why are you keeping a bucket of water lying? Around? Yeah, that seems like you're playing with fire. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that Poirot um, film, uh, the Mesopotamia one, where a woman? Think she's drinking water, but it's mm. actually chloroforic. Hydrochloric acid. <laughs> I prefer what I said. Sorry. <laughs> and then she, she sort of melts. Do you think, think she's that a, witch? a that nod? She's a witch. Maybe it was water. Wow. Because <laughs> she seemed quite nice. Maybe she was just wicked smart or something. Um, <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. We probably will. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon you're right. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, Jess did warn at the start some weird tangents. Yeah. Not all good. I we, covered this. Yeah. <laughs> I covered this. Someone's going, I think she wasn't lying back then. <laughs> uh, so she melts the witch. Now she's killed both the wicked witches. Uh, and then so she's got a real body count going in. Yeah. yeah. She frees. Oh, yeah. Who, who knows how many bees were lost <laughs> in that attack? Uh, Dorothy frees the cowardly lion and engages the help of the now free Winkies in repairing and building the Tin Woodman and the Scarecrow. And the friends return to Oz. Oz does not summon them for several days. That was a real dull part of the book. Oh, <laughs> Still <the> waiting. <laughs> just waiting around. Just checking out cafes, uh, <laughs> museum, kind of, you know. And when he does not admit them into his presence, he seems reluctant to grant their wishes. 
Toto knocks over a screen, revealing that Oz is only a common man. However, he fills the scarecrow's head with bran and pins and needles, saying they are brains. He puts a silken sawdust heart in the Tin Woodman, and he gives the cowardly lion a drink that he says is courage. Rum. Uh, he, he and Dorothy make a balloon to carry them out of the land of Oz, but the balloon flies away before Dorothy can board. Oz leaves the scarecrow in charge of the Emerald City. At the suggestion of a soldier, Dorothy and her friends go to seek the help of Glinda, the Witch of the South. In the film we've already met, but in the book this is the first we see of her. They encounter several obstacles, but at last reach Glinda's castle. Glinda summons the winged monkeys so that they can take the Tin Woodman back to rule the Winkies, the Scarecrow back to Emerald City, and the Cowardly Lion to the forest to be the King of the Beasts. Then she tells Dorothy how to use the silver shoes to take her back to Kansas. Dorothy gathers up Toto, clicks her heels together three times and says, Take me home to Aunt M. She is oh. transported back to the farm in Kansas. So what, what's oh, the line catchy. in the book? Uh, take, take me, me home, home to Aunt M. But in the film, of course, it is... There's, There's no place like home. Mm, yeah. Much but that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. That's a good rewrite. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's definitely some really good rewrites in it. They, it changes the film uh, is quite different from the book, but they take a lot of stuff from the book, mm. you know. Uh, but, yeah, it's interesting that they that the, the three she meets along the way all end up kind of being kind rulers of different parts of Oz. Yeah. Replacing the witches that Dorothy ca- killed. killed in cold blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just straight up murdered. I mean, there's no real bloodless coup, is there? No. <laughs> um, so, it, the, <laughs> what a funny thing to say in such a matter of fact tone. Yeah. Well, there's no bloodless coup, is there? <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> it does feel like a little bit yeah. of a threat, Dave. Yeah. Uh, so the the book is now it became a big hit, super well known around the world. It's been translated into. 40, 50-something languages. I saw 40-plus and 50-plus, but I thought 40-plus would cover both of those. <laughs> I should just say more than one language. Wow. Because that's, that's true. That is absolutely true. Can't, hey. Less than 100 languages. Fact check that. The way you looked at me is very funny. So aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> really on the back foot here. I love it. Um, so the United States Library of Congress has called it America's greatest and best loved homegrown fairy tale. So much of this story has seeped into American culture in the years since, and I, for Australian culture as well, I suppose. Um, according to the Smithsonian, today images and phrases from The Wizard of Oz are so pervasive, so unparalleled in their ability to trigger personal memories and musings, that it's hard to conceive of The Wizard of Oz as the product of one man's imagination. Reflecting on all the things that Oz introduced, the yellow brick road, winged monkeys, munchkins, can be like facing a list of words that Shakespeare invented. <sighs> Dave does not like that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Dave has taken that personally. This could be (laughs) the the most influential and most loved. (laughs) Could be. Perhaps, perhaps. But I mean, mean, obviously not. But there are so many things from The Wizard of Oz that are just like, even people who've probably never seen it would be familiar with some of these phrases like there's no place like home. And and, And oh, we oh, we oh. Yeah. Yeah. Ding dong, the witch is dead. (laughs) Mm. 
Uh, it seems incredible that one man injected all these concepts into our cultural consciousness. Wouldn't we all be forever lost without There's No Place Like Home, the mantra that turns everything right side up and returns life to normalcy? I don't know if we'd all be lost. We'd all be lost. The Smithsonian said so. Also, that's not even his line. Yeah. He wrote, take me home to Anne Am. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think I would be lost. I don't have an, an Aunt M. That's true, yeah. So it's not all him, really, is it? But um, And the filmmakers. But, I mean, without him, there's no film. Uh, so some another iconic um, or another couple of iconic quotes from the film include, Toto, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Mm. You do hear people say that, you know, it's almost yep. like the when in Rome, it just means... It means no matter where you are. And even if you've never been in Kansas, people still understand what you're saying. Yeah. Hey, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. That's funny. I'm somewhere different to yep. where I'm used to. I'm not in Kansas Something stra- Something strange has happened. Yeah. I enjoy when that line's mo- used like in an action movie by like a, like a big hulking yeah. dude, like the opposite of Dorothy. Yeah. Still yeah. being like... Hey, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Or <laughs> yeah. well, they go, hey, there's no place like home. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's fun. Yeah, or, I like that. I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun stuff like that. And your little dog too. That yeah. is a classic line. This film, I watched it a lot as a kid and I genuinely had nightmares about The Wicked Witch of the West. It was a brand new film when you were <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was actually middle-aged <laughs> when it was released. <laughs> no, sorry, in the Middle Ages. Yeah. So when you, I was a kid, so you, you had, do the maths there. <laughs> you had nightmares about the the Wicked Witch. Yeah, big yeah, time. It's a bit scary. I vividly remember it, um, and it was one of three. I've I reckon I've seen it fifty times. I haven't seen it in a while, but it was one of three videos that my nana and granddad had at their place. We and Annie was the other one. We we pretty much switched between those two when we were around there. To watch a film. They also had uh, <laughs> Mr. Chips Goes to Hollywood, but we never watched that. <laughs> I still don't know what that's about. But what a funny name, Mr. Chips. I picture it was a man, a chip man, yeah. you know, like a big packet of French fries yeah. going to Hollywood <laughs> trying to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Chips, Chips Goes to Hollywood. Please I don't know don't. why we never watched please. it. It's like, no, no, never. No, nah, we'll watch the same movie again, please. We were so close to naming our dog Chips and fuck, Mr. Chips would have been great. <laughs> I'm, I'm now semi-doubting that that even exists. <laughs> Mr. Chips to Hollywood. You. I reckon you have amalgamated two Hollywood classes. <laughs> There's also 1939, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Okay. Also 1939, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. <laughs> I have made it up. And you just put in Hollywood. Okay, no, it was, yeah, what was the first one? That's what it was. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. No, the no, other Mr. one. Chips. Oh, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Yeah, she had Goodbye, Mr. Chips. I, I, mean, re- I recognise the name of that one. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Where's he off to? Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's actually the same one. Yeah. <laughs> I think actually um, that was the US title. I yeah. think in Australia it was Mr. Chips Goes <laughs> to Hollywood. <laughs> Mate, you're going to love this. Uh, the film is about Mr. Chipping. A beloved aged school teacher and former headmaster of a boarding school who recalls his career and his personal life over the decades. Yeah, that sounds does like a, sound fun. Like, sounds like a, a, like a romp for the children. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Mr. Chips. They were, I should say, they weren't the only video she had. She also taped Burke's Backyard. <laughs> <laughs> so you kids had options. Yeah. <laughs> she was a gardening show in Australia back, back in the day. Very popular. Mm. Very popular. 
with a since disgraced host. Um, <laughs> who was going to say it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the so the majority of these iconic phrases and images, you know, ding dong, which is dead, mm. isn't one. <laughs> Actually, most of those ones I said aren't, but a lot of the images they came from the brain of L. Frank Baum. <laughs> Baum. Baum. Do you know what the L stands for? Lewis. Leonard. You won't get it. Lawrence. L- Lyman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lime, Lyman. Lyman. And he did not like that name. It was, I think it was his uncle's name or something like that. He didn't like it, so he just dropped it down to L. He, he basically went by Frank. Right, because it does sound like, you know, you're describing someone. You know, old Lyman Frank Baum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, big Lyman. <laughs> He loves them. He's full of shit. <laughs> you can't trust li- old Lyman Frank Baum. Frank Baum. Baum was born in Chinanango, New York, in 1856. Gosh, I've never heard. I love that. Yeah, That's great. Almost definitely not how you pronounce it. He was the seventh of nine children. Too many. Quick question. So, so oh, yeah. One I'll more. I'll take questions here. Oh, one what? more. <laughs> yeah, one more for starters. Why didn't his parents? Have one more, yep. but did they know what was called it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they did. Cynthia and Benjamin, his parents, well, they fucking. were fucking. <laughs> <laughs> they were going boom. <laughs> I mean, you get to seven kids and you run out of names, so you yeah. just start making Lyman. Yeah, whatever. Lyman. Uh, they were uh, quite wealthy with uh, business interests, including oil drilling and real estate. Yeah, they love to drill. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They used to drill it all day, all night. <laughs> Business and pleasure. <laughs> the Smithsonian continues, Baum was sent to Peekskill Military Academy at age 12, where his daydreamer spirit suffered under the academy's harsh discipline. At 14, in the middle of a caning, Baum clutched his chest and collapsed, seemingly suffering a heart attack. At 14? At 14. Caning him for being a bit of a daydreamer. Uh, that was the end of his tenure at Peak School. He got sent home, and although he, he had a heart attack, yeah, they're like at fourteen. Right. Can you? I just like I, I was imagining it. I'm like, in the 1800s, he's getting a caning at a military school, and he has a heart attack. They're going get up, don't you reckon? Yeah, I'm I bet you they're going get up. I'm hoping Ho- you're about to tell us he was faking it to get out of it. No. Oh god, that's awful. Um. So, yeah, he, he headed home, um, and Smithsonian continues here. Uh, and although he attended a high school in Syracuse, he never graduated and disdained higher education and was later quoted as saying, You see, in this country, there are a number of youths who do not like to work, and the college is an excellent place for them. <laughs> real real uh, old man thing to say. Mm. Oh, yeah, these kids. Kids is, eh? At uni. I mean, a book that I um, started in lit at uni, which I enjoyed at the time by Bill Bryson, his first travel book going around America, he talks like that a lot in it about the youth and how they just don't care to know things. And this is and his, he wrote it at 36. Yeah, this is like his first book and he's had a prolific career. Yeah. So it's so funny to be that bitter so young. Yeah, it was, yeah, like the whole thing was, yeah, I really, I remember thinking it was so funny. And there's still funny bits in it, mm. but a lot of it is just, it's kind of bleak. And it's like, when I realized he was 36, I'm like, this is written by a man who is 300 years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Uh, Your kind of book. My kind of book, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny how people talk about it. Mm. The youth. Oh, the youth. <laughs> they, weren't, they aren't having heart attacks like I used to. <laughs> yeah, back in my day. We were having heart attacks at 14. <laughs> now these kids on their bloody little <laughs> Nintendos. <laughs> That's what that's something that Bill Bryson says. He talks about how just they've they've had television all their. He was yeah, born in the fifties, cool so he's like these kids watching TV all the time. I wonder what he thinks of kids of today, <laughs> who, who think of TV as like some uh, an- anarchic. Yeah. No. Okay. Okay. Anarchy. Anarchy. It's a cultural I'm wasteland watch- out there. I'm watching free to wear. Anarchy. <laughs> Thanks Any, so much. Anything for could me be today. on. There's ads <laughs> all the time, and they're always for weird little exercise things that just jiggle you. <laughs> they say you'll lose heaps of weight. Back in my day, I just jiggled myself. <laughs> <laughs> Jiggle my own winkies. <laughs> winkies, plural, for some reason. <laughs> I've got a condition. <laughs> Double D. <laughs> uh, Smithsonian continues, Baum, Baum did not mind work, but he stumbled through a number of failed enterprises before finding a career that suited him. In his 20s, he raised chickens, wrote plays, ran a theatre company, and started a business that produced oil-based lubricants. Probably for his folks. <laughs> um, oil drilling. That makes sense. Uh, Baum was a natural entertainer. And so his stint as a playwright and actor brought him the greatest satisfaction out of these early employments. But the work was not steady and the lifestyle disruptive. By 1882, Baum had reason to desire a more settled life. He, mar- uh, he married Maud Gage. This is about the same age as Bill Bryson then. Yeah. <laughs> 36. That's right. Jeez, that's quick maths. He's very good. Uh a student at Cornell, uh, the roommate of his cousin and the daughter of famous women's rights campaigner Matilda Joslyn Gage. When Baum's aunt introduced Maud to Frank, she told him that he would love her. Upon first sight, Baum declared, consider yourself loved, Miss Gage. <laughs> what a wild way to meet someone. Enchanté. <laughs> consider yourself loved. <laughs> Sorry, Hi. who are you? Yeah. <laughs> and your name is? Uh, a bit much, mate. Yeah. Back off. Back then, though, they would have been like, ooh, <laughs> fanning themselves over <laughs> shit like that. My heart is all a flutter. Today I'd be like, fuck off. Oh, yuck. <laughs> uh, Frank proposed a few months later, and despite her mother's objections, Maud accepted. Uh, in the dedication of the Wizard of Oz books, this sort of talks about the romance in each other's hearts. Baum uh, dedicated the book to Maud and wrote that she was his good friend and comrade. Mm, that's nice. Right. That's beautiful. You're one of my best friends. <laughs> your wife should be one of your best friends mm. yeah, and comrades. Top five for sure. Top five, yeah. Partners should be in your top five, I reckon. That's just my opinion. If your partner is in your top five, that's fine, but you are doomed. <laughs> <laughs> good friend. My good friend. Uh, the relationship wasn't also always so lovey-dovey. Um, the Smithsonian article quotes this kind of bonkers story. <laughs> Okay. On, <laughs> I'm, I might be overselling it, but to me, this is such a wild thing to be in a short biography. <laughs> but it's just such a. I thought I got to read this out. On one occasion, Maud threw a fit over a box of donuts that Frank brought home without consulting her. She was the one who decided what food entered the house. If he was going to buy frivolous things, he would have to make sure that they did not go to waste. 
By the fourth day, unable to face the mouldy confections, Baum buried them in the backyard and Maud promptly dug them up and presented them <laughs> to her husband. <laughs> he promised that he would never again buy food without consulting her and was spared from having to eat the dirt-covered pastries. <laughs> <laughs> Only after promising. <laughs> I would be so happy. Someone brought home a bunch of donuts. Imagine, a bu- imagine having a box of donuts that don't get eaten in four days. <laughs> that's the wildest thing of the story. That's fucked. That's 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 just not on. And then he's buried them, and then he uses inside, and he just hears digging. He's like, "Oh no!" Oh, no. Imagine oh, no. he'd be like forty years old or something. He's in the backyard digging up. God, my shame. Moldy donuts. Do you know what? One time. <laughs> One time, uh, my partner went uh, shopping. He went to a shopping centre to, to grab a few things and he came home and he brought me a cupcake, um, uh, which he was just like, I saw a cupcake and I thought, you might like a cupcake. And that is still one of the best days of my life. <laughs> think about it every day. I think about that cupcake all the time. like, man, I, I'd been at the shopping centre earlier that day and <laughs> thought about getting a cupcake, didn't get one. Didn't tell him that, he got me a cupcake. Oh, that is so sweet. And it's still, I think about it often. Sometimes I'm like, do you remember that cupcake you bought me? Gets gets us through the tough times. (laughs) We'll always have the cupcake. (laughs) This this woman's like, how dare you bring home donuts? And you said that this is a short biography. Yeah. (laughs) Such a specific. (laughs) I reckon they must have also been like, we got to put this story in. (laughs) This is wild. Who doesn't eat a box of donuts? Yeah. Takes you forward. How many donuts? How many donuts? It must have been like. 50 or something. Yeah, yeah it, it must have been bigger. way too many. Because I don't think It's I like, could... it's four. Yeah. <laughs> Four's gone in half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Depends what? on what we're talking. I'm imagining just a box of, like, cinnamon. Oh, yeah, right. That's what I'm imagining. Are you imagining more like our modern day donuts <laughs> covered in all sorts I of think, shit? I was imagining the one icing. That Siraj buys yeah. us. <laughs> I was imagining, like, icing type stuff because that would go mouldy. Sure, maybe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah, also probably less preservatives back then. Yeah. Cheese was spent more time on the snow. <laughs> <laughs> no, Even more time than I'm the Smithsonian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still so interested in it. In 1888, the Baums moved to Aberdeen in South Dakota and would soon be a family of six with four children. I think they were all boys. Uh, in, in the following decade, Baum tried multiple ways to earn a living. He ran a bazaar, started a baseball <laughs> club, wrote for a newspaper and worked at a department store. Wow. Um, but then, according to the Smithsonian, at age 40, Frank finally threw himself into writing. In the spring of 1898, the uh, VFL just began the year before this, mm. um, interestingly, uh, just to give you context for what was going on in the world. Great. Uh, <laughs> so he started writing on scraps of ragged paper the story of the Wizard of Oz. When he was done with the manuscript, I love the confidence that he, he's like, I think I've done something good here. He framed the well-worn pencil stub he used to write the story, anticipating that it would produce something great. When The Wizard of Oz was published in 1900, with il- the year that Australia federated, uh, with <laughs> illustrations by the Chicago-based artist William Wallace Denzo, WWD, uh, Baum became not only the best-selling children's book author in the country, but also the founder of a genre. Until this point, American children read European literature. Uh, there had never been a successful American children's book author, apparently. What? Unlike uh, other books for children, The Wizard of Oz was pleasingly informal. Characters were defined by their actions rather than author- authorial discourse. 
And morality was a subtext rather than a juggernaut rolling through the text. The New York Times wrote that uh, that children would be pleased with dashes of colour and something new in the place of the old familiar and winged fairies of Grimm and Anderson. Oh, Hans Christian. (laughs) Well, I mentioned the Grimm brothers before. I forgot. Yeah, that... Grimm and Anderson, I guess that, yeah, because all the famous old fairy tales were pretty much written by those, I think. Yeah. Or at least Lots they made versions of them, right? Yeah. I can't remember, some of them are probably traditional, I don't know. Yeah. Um, due to its, its success, Baum wrote another uh, 13 books based in the world of Oz, and these were illustrated by John R. Neal. I don't really talk about it later, but even after he died, other people took it on and wrote more books in the, um, the Oz world as well. Right, and is it... Do- from your understanding, Dorothy is still involved? Like, she yeah. goes back? Uh, Dorothy's involved sometimes. And then there's, I mean, there's titles. <laughs> I'll find some titles later. Or maybe you can, Dave. I'll keep throwing work over to you. <laughs> but, they're, like, some of those other books have names. You're like, this does not sound good. But right. they, they were still very popular. One of them, yeah, wow. Mr. Chips Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> you should have watched that one. Uh, the books, particularly the original, inspired many adaptations. Um First, let's talk about 1902's musical extravaganza, The Wizard of Oz. And uh, I read somewhere that um, this musical was actually very important in getting the publishing deal for the book. The publisher was like, we, we're not fully sure about this, if, if you can get a musical or something to help promote it. Mm. So I think the, this musical was going to happen even before the publishing deal was struck. But uh, it needed not matter. It was already a hit by the time the musical came out. It did help it further, though. According to the New York Public Library, despite Baum... Oh, Dave, you got <laughs> got some there. Based on that <laughs> little noise. <laughs> like, it starts out with, this is a list of the books that he wrote in his life. So Wonderful Wizard of Oz, as we know, then The Mar- Marvelous Land of Oz, sure. Ozma of Oz. Okay. okay, he hasn't lost it yet. Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. <laughs> sure. Okay. The Road to Oz, yep. Emerald City of Oz. Beautiful. The Patchwork Girl of Oz. Okay. Then we've got TikTok of Oz. TikTok of Oz. Spelt the same way the app is. I think yeah, I think that was like a little mechanical guy. A clock? Like yeah, like a clock. <laughs> Uh, then Scarecrow of Oz, then <laughs> I loved it. Rinky Tink in Oz. Yeah, these are the sort of the ones I was thinking of. There you go. Uh, we've also... <laughs> there's like flippity gibbets and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, like there's a compilation book called Queer Visitors from the Marvelous Land of Oz. Then the Woggle Bug book, The Strange Adventure of the Woggle Bug. <laughs> yeah, Woggle Bug was another one that got my attention. Woggle Bug. <laughs> the Littlest Giant and Oz Story. Yes, there's some. Yeah, there's a few. So actually, not most of them just sound like he's recycling the same bit. Yeah. But they're just they're just adventures because he's created this. Like you know, there's a lot going on. There's four different quadrants. Yeah. There's so many places to explore stories. Big land. Yeah. Oh, I mean, check in with the lion, see how he's going, yeah. ruling the jungle. Not the jungle, the forest, yep. or whatever it was. The wood. Uh, after he died, there was one called Kabumpo in Oz. Kabumpo. Yeah. Strange. The classic. Yeah. <laughs> and a... then Grandpa in Oz. <laughs> <laughs> really getting There's desperate. a committee sitting around going, all right, um, boom, do we have any? I, I think Kabumpo didn't do well, and they're like, let's make it something everybody <laughs> yeah. can relate to. Everybody's got a grandpa. <laughs> right? I know I do. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, we're losing the kids. What are they like? Pirates. Pirates in Oz. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Star Wars in Oz. <laughs> <laughs> Frozen in Oz. <laughs> There's so many. Barbie in Oz. <laughs> 
Then uh, John R. Neal starts having a go at writing and illustrating. Yeah, so he was he was the one who illustrated the majority of the original books, and he he wrote a few as well. Cool. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this musical extravaganza, mm. The Wizard of Oz. I love the word extravaganza. Oh yeah, I love to use it for things that are not that extravagant. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's used appropriately here. Great. Um, so this is according to the New York Public Library. So Baum's best known for his children's books, but his first love was the theatre. And in the summer of 1901, Baum, with Wizard of Oz illustrator WWD and 24-year-old composer Paul Titchens, uh, they began plans for producing The Wizard of Oz on stage. Baum wrote an operetta-style libretto that was quite faithful to the original book. Titchens began writing music to Baum's lyrics and Denzo began to ponder designs and network with his theatre friends to find a producer. The proposed production landed with Chicago producer Fred Hamlin. The story goes that Hamlin picked up the show only because it had Wizard in the title. <laughs> Coincidentally, Hamil- Hamlin's family fortune was made with a cure-all medical tonic called Hamlin's Wizard Oil. That's the only reason he's like, yeah, I'll fund this play. <laughs> it's Whatever a sign. It is. <laughs> uh, Hamlin passed the project on to director Julian Mitchell, who was best known for creating parodies of hit musicals. Uh, kind of like the equivalent of an early 1900s Saturday Night Live, according to the New York Public Library. Uh, Mitchell was keen on making the show, but didn't like Baum's story. <laughs> it's like, I love, I love it. Let's make it. Don't like the story. Yeah, I love everything about it except the story. <laughs> Which is kind of all you've given me. Yeah. I like the vibe. I like the name. I like the word, <laughs> I like the word wi- Can we just call it wizard? I like the vibe. <laughs> Can we call it wizard oil? Yeah. <laughs> the wizard of oil. Uh, so according to the New York Public Library, Mitchell had his own vision of the show. This isn't this isn't the oil magnet, uh, the you know the snake oil magnate. This is the guy he passed it on to. He had a vision of the show. Why not simply use this American fairy tale as fodder for a send up of the previous twenty five years of musicals? It had everything: lots of potential for strong visuals, animal impersonators, <laughs> chorus numbers for pretty girls, and a great gimmick. It was set in Americanized fairyland. Mitchell would add even more Americana to the melting pot. A streetcar conductor, a lunch counter waitress, and an anarchist subplot. Sounds like Baum wasn't stoked about the new direction, but he rewrote the story in Mitchell's vision all the same. He added contemporary references to the script, name-checking figures like President Theodore Roosevelt, Senator Mark Hanna, and John D. Rockefeller. Apparently many pre-existing songs without anything to do with the plot were also incorporated. (laughs) Other significant changes from the book included the cowardly lion's role being reduced to a bit part. Imagine imp- that might have been because how do you create a lion on stage back then? Um, something I, like I felt silly realising was that in the story it was an actual lion. Like, you know, you see the movie, like it's a lion man. Oh, yeah. He's sort of like this weird, but in the book it's just a, it's just a talking lion. Just a, what does it take to impress this guy? They <laughs> talk a lot. And you're like, whatever. Give Next. me a man with a mane around his yeah. face. Oh, yeah. Man, now man. I'm interested. <laughs> Just a talking lion. <laughs> Other significant changes from the book included the cowardly lion's role. Oh, I've said that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, as well as the cowardly lion's role being reduced to a bit part, the Wicked Witch of the West is never seen, and Toto the dog is replaced by Imogen the cow. <laughs> Cows are much more American. Yeah. Uh, new characters were introduced, including King Pastoria the second and his girlfriend, 
Trixie Trifle, the waitress, and a poet laureate named Sir Dashamoff Daly, amongst numerous others. The plot was now focused on this King Pistoria guy who was attempting to regain the throne from the Wizard of Oz. So just entirely changing the story. So this director's been like, all right, what I've got here is the best-selling children's book in our country's history. I'm going to change everything. <laughs> yeah. It's not even going to be close. <laughs> I mean, this, this is still early, like this is early days. It was only a year after being released, but it, the book had already sold well. It, like it, it sold its first print quite quickly of ten thousand copies. Um, but in short, it was quite different from the original. Um, how, how do you reckon it went? Terribly. It or was a big hit. <laughs> Didn't let me finish. I loved it. Terribly well. Or terribly or very well. There's no middle ground. It was either going to bomb or smash. Yeah. It had a successful run in Chicago in 1902 before heading on tour and then went to Broadway, where, according to the New York Public Library, it became the favourite of a generation. The audiences couldn't get enough. The tornado scene, Fred Stone's boneless scarecrow walking about on his ankles, the lovely all-girl poppy field, the glittering Emerald City. The audiences came back for seconds and thirds. What's a boneless skeleton look like? Is it just a <laughs> sack of skin? <laughs> Yeah, did I say a boneless skeleton? I misspoke. Boneless scarecrow. Ah. Did I say a boneless skeleton? That is, yeah, that's nothing. That's nothing. Sorry. Yeah, but people back then would be like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I can't see it. <laughs> whoa. Whoa, they keep talking about this character. I can't even see I can't it. see this so They've cool. made that character disappear. How are they invisible? Whoa. Wow, theatre. <laughs> Yeah, it's a boneless scarecrow. That I mean, that is just that a makes, scarecrow. That makes more sense, though. I get it. Not one, one of these scarecrows where they've put in a human skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> um, the audiences came. They came back and back, brought their kids. Everyone bought the sheet music. This is something I can't... <laughs> this is the second time we've talked about how sheet mi- music... We talked about in the Bradman episode. Mm. Sheet mi- music just sold off the charts. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, they also bought the player piano rolls and Baum's original novel. So that... It lifted it again. Wow. Uh, but Oz... then they were quite disappointed by the novel. It was very different. <laughs> Where's the, the show? cow? <laughs> <laughs> Toto a dog. Show me Imogen. <laughs> um, so Oz had entered the American consciousness. Baum then followed with two more Oz-based musicals, The Woggle Bug in 1905 <laughs> and The TikTok Man of Oz in 1913. These were less successful. <laughs> Neither made it to Broadway. <laughs> Uh, I was initially hoping to go through all the sequels and adaptations of the original book, but that turned out to be a little naive. Um, there are hundreds of them, hundreds and so many. Uh, films, TV shows, comics, video games, stage productions, and books like we've said. I think the fil- I think the first film version was The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Different sources say different films was the first one, but this one seems to be the original one, if it existed. It was a 15-minute film from 1910. It was based on the original book and directed by Otis Turner, demonstrating how important films were back then. It's not even known who starred in it. Wikipedia.org says it, quote, may have featured B.B. Daniels as Dorothy. May have. May have. Wow. And that, yeah, that was the best I could come up with was that line on Wikipedia. Um, Turner followed it up with three more low-budget films based on Baum's books, Dorothy and the Scarecrow in Oz, The Land of Oz, and John Doe and the Cherub. <laughs> they oh. always feel like, wait, what? John there was Doe a pattern and here, and then all of a sudden you go, well, you've lost it. <laughs> Who's John Doe? John Doe. <laughs> is there a dead body in Oz somewhere? <laughs> Doe spelled D-O-U-G-H. So I don't know, is ah. it, was it like a muffin man or something? Yeah, a little gingerbread man. Is that a man. pun? These films are all now lost. 
Baum founded the Oz Film Manufacturing Company in 1914 with the aim of creating family entertainment to compete with the popular Western films of the time, which he saw as too violent for kids. The company would go on to produce five films and five short films. Uh, one of the films was called The Magic Cloak of Oz, and it followed the story of Fluff, the unhappiest person in Oz. Fluff! In it, fairies made Fluff a magic cloak and would grant him one witch. Unfortunately, despite great storylines like this, the films were flops, and after a couple of years, they were forced to close. The company was then absorbed into Metro Pictures, which went on to become MGM, Metro Goldwyn mm. Mayer. Mayer, thank you. Mr. Mayer. Louis B. Mayer. <laughs> Louis B. Mayer? Congratulations, Mr. Congratulations. Mayer. Uh, films and books about the Land of Oz continued to be made over the following decades. Uh, Dave mentioned a bunch of them just before. But it wasn't until 1939 that the definitive film adaptation was made. And that's the main thing I was intending to talk about. <laughs> just got a little distracted there for, what, about an hour? An hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the the rest is way more grim. So I I think I was happy to get lost in the, the silliness of the that's early great. times. But yeah. Um, the, yeah, I, at that point, that musical was still, you know, well-known and stuff. This movie really is just fully overshadowed it and no one really knows. Oh, I didn't know about that music. No. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um. According to a Warner Brothers timeline of the film, MGM considered making a movie of The Wizard of Oz as early as 1924 when one of Baum's sons, uh, Frank J. Baum, was peddling the silent film rights, but they couldn't agree on terms. It wasn't until 1934 when Samuel Goldwyn bought the film rights to The Wizard of Oz from Frank J. Baum for 40 grand. 
He then on-sold them to MGM in 1938 for $75,000. It's a good little investment. Hey? Good little earner. Good little earner. Good little Bunsen, Bunsen burner. burner. <laughs> <laughs> in 1937, the first full-length animated feature, Walt Disney's Snow White and Seven Dwarves, was released. And according to the LA Times, its success inspired MGM to put The Wizard of Oz on a production fast track. I, it only just dawned on me there that, you know how I got confused between those two chants? Mm-hmm. Hi ho hi ho! Yeah. Talk to go and all we or yeah. So that's what? probably no, that's no coincidence, I guess, because they apparently like every uh, everything I read said when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was a big hit, that MGM's like, oh, we got to get something going here, and that that really was the reason why uh, this version of the Wizard of Oz was made. What year was Snow White again? Sorry, you just said it. Uh, it was thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Wow. Um. According to The Telegraph, Victor Fleming, the film's main director, say main director, there were multiple directors oh. in this film, uh, liked to say obstacles made for a better picture. He'd come to the right place when he pitched up in Oz. Producer Mervyn Leroy remembered the making of the film as one gigantic headache. Uh, the production was marred by issues right off the bat, and the studio power brokers treated the cast and crew horribly. And I talk a, a, a fair bit about that. Um, so you're ready to have a classic... <laughs> Children's film ruined. Yes, with some behind-the-scenes stories. <laughs> uh, Shirley Temple was an early contender for the role of Dorothy, but the part ended up going to 16-year-old Judy Garland. Apparently, they they didn't think Temple was up to the singing parts. Um, what a funny. slap across the face! Yeah, because yeah. isn't she? Wasn't she like? A, wasn't that her thing? Didn't she sing? Yeah, songs <laughs> and act. I thought that was it. I thought that's why we knew her. Just not. It. Turns yeah, out she was well. really good at spreadsheets. <laughs> Uh, Garland would later say that the movie ruined her life. Whoa! Of the film's ten main cast members, Garland, who played the main character, had the second lowest salary, what? earning more than only Terry, who played Toto the dog. And I, I mean, all the other main cast members were adults, but still, isn't that wild that yeah. she earned? Like she was, you know, She's she was. She was the star. She was in. Like she's I, in the whole thing. the whole thing, right? Um, was Shirley Temple younger than her? Like, was she still a child? I think Shirley Temple might have been, yeah. So that and they went for more of a teenage. Yes. Yeah. So, so the book was written, or the age was never said in the books, but the pictures made it look like it was a much a younger yeah. Dorothy. Um, but so they put pressure on Garland to be seem younger. She had to wear a corset, Ugh. and um. Okay, let me see if I've written this ahead before I start going off-piste, off-script. <laughs> um, according to Biography.com, Garland played opposite Mickey Rooney in a string of films for MGM. So she was a contracted player for MGM at the time, but she wasn't a star. This was the movie that made her a star, which sounds like sometimes you're better off not being a star because it ruined her life. Um, but it wasn't just being a star that ruined her life. Mm. It was how she was treated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Concerned about her weight, the studio demanded that she take pep pills to suppress her appetite and keep up her energy. Then, at the end of each shooting day, they'd supply all the child stars with sleeping pills. When Garland was cast in The Wizard of Oz, her weight drew constant criticism from Louis B. Mayer and other studio executives. Her insecurities about her weight combined with her gruelling work schedule resulted in her taking even more pills. The Wizard of Oz became her crowning achievement and it immediately made her a Hollywood icon. Unfortunately, it also left her dependent on drugs, which affected her health and her career for the rest of her life. She ended up dying in her 40s. She never recovered from her 
pill addictions and it just, it, it just like it literally ruined her life. It's absolutely fucked. I think I read something, something came up on um, Facebook recently about her and Mickey Rooney and it was a different film though. It wasn't Wizard of Oz, but yeah, like pepping them up to work these long hours and then giving them sleeping pills to sleep for a couple of hours and then waking them up with more pep pills yeah. to, like, get them to keep working. I wonder what, what's pep pills? That, that would, like, that means something like an illicit drug now probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah, almost certainly illegal now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so just treating, them, treating her just like a, you know, like a, I don't know, like a robot or something. Yeah. Um, is that what you do to robots? You give them pills? <laughs> <laughs> just pill-powered robots. But just not, not treating her like a human. Yeah. Anyway. And not like a teenage, uh, a teenager no. either. No. Oh, just, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. Such, a, such a bummer. Um, to, to think that she gave such a great performance despite all that is, is pretty amazing. Mm. Uh, Ray Bolger was cast as the Tin Man and Buddy Ebsen as the Scarecrow, but Bolger insisted the roles be switched, and they were. This proved to be a bad uh, move for Ebsen, who um, had a bad reaction to the Tin Man's makeup, according to Julie Miller writing for Vanity Fair. One night during the rehearsal period, Buddy Ebsen woke up in bed screaming from violent cramps in his hands, arms and legs. When he had difficulty breathing, his wife called an ambulance and rushed him to the hospital. He remained in an oxygen tent for two weeks, recovering from the pure aluminium or aluminium he had ingested into his lungs. Oh gosh! Mm. Which was what they they just they just painted on pure aluminium, and that was his makeup. Yeah, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Uh, rather than being sympathetic to the severe reaction, the studio was furious. They told me to get the hell back to work. Ebsen said, when the studio was told that Ebsen, whose skin had turned blue during his reaction, could not immediately return, production replaced him with Jack Haley. Uh, though the aluminium makeup was changed, it still caused Haley a serious eye infection. So they 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 modified it, but they still were using. But they recast. They recast rather than and not like he wasn't like this is too much. I'm out. They're like we can't wait for you. We're moving on. But I just got sick for you. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking hell. Ridiculous. They yeah just uh, didn't. Tra- it sounds like they didn't treat any of the actors like humans. Mm. Um, Bolger didn't escape without his own makeup issues. Uh, it was reported that the markings from the scarecrow makeup lasted on his face for about a year. So he still had that sort of Hessian sack effect <laughs> on his face. Oh my gosh. For a year. <laughs> Freaking hell. Bert La was cast as the cowardly lion. He also had his troubles. Uh, this is back to Miller's article. Before the days of synthetic fur, there was only one option for making an authentic looking lion costume using the hair of a real lion. Because of continuity concerns and the fact it was impossible to find duplicate lion hides with identical colorations and patterns, La wore one costume primarily through filming. Giving the costume's weight, um, apparently it weighed 90 pounds, approximately 40 kilos. Whoa! 40 kilos? That's like your... Wasn't that your performing weight, Dave? (laughs) 52. 52. (laughs) Almost pretty much acting with Dave... (laughs) Just draped. On you, draped over you. Um, Whoa! And the fact that La was filming under intensely hot Technicolor lights uh, that had even the lesser costume actors fainting and being car- carried off the set. According to cinematographer Harold Ronson, the actor thoroughly sweated through his costume each day, so much that the costume had to be put in an industrial drying bin each night to dry the perspiration. And then just 
Wear it, back it again on. the next day. Must have fucking stunk. Yeah, it would have smelt so bad. And, and he's so oh. what? Like again, what a great performance! Is he so? Yeah, he moves around so much. Yeah. Whoa. Sometimes if I have to carry the dog for like a bit, <laughs> so I have to carry him down the stairs because uh, of his hips. He's 17 kilos. And I'm like, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to have to just not take you anywhere. <laughs> I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. <laughs> 40 kilos. 40 kilos. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> Gail. <laughs> I just thought of, I'm like, Ray Bulger. Why is that? What's that remind me of on The Simpsons? Oh, I, do you remember when he, Homer's talking about what celebrities do for do nothing for other people? <laughs> and when it's time to do the dishes, where's Ray Bulger? <laughs> Ray Bulger's looking <laughs> out for Ray Bulger. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny because I remember that being funny but had no idea. Yeah. That. That's so funny. <laughs> Ray Bulger is just a funny name. It's it's funny, I know. You say it, I'm like, That's the name I know out of the three. It's a great name. Um, so Gail Sundergaard was cast as the Wicked Witch of the West, but according to a Warner Brothers timeline that I referenced before, a couple of months later, Margaret Hamilton was cast in the role to replace uh, Sundergaard, who decided she didn't want to play an ugly witch. (laughs) (laughs) Sundergaard dodged a bullet, as Hamilton had an awful time on set. According to Miller, while filming the scene in which the witch disappears in a flash of smoke, the effects crew started their fire before Hamilton had enough time to safely exit the stage. According to Algene Harmetz's 1977 book, The Making of the Wizard of Oz, the flames caught on her broom and hat, scalding her chin, the bridge of her nose, her right cheek and the right side of her forehead. The eyelashes and eyebrow on the right side had been burnt off. Her upper lip and eyelid were barely burned. When she looked down, her skin had been burned off her hand. <gasps> Incapacitated, a friend had to pick her up from the movie movie studio. Friend had to pick her up. This is, and then she later recalled, "That was always amazing to me that the studio didn't send me home in a limousine. I had to, I had to call a friend to come and pick me up." Wow, that's feels terrific. like they could have they could have gotten a ride. Yeah, at least an Uber. Yeah, an Uber pool. Probably an ambulance, <laughs> really. Yeah, absolutely. A friend had to come and pick her up, and she's got to make that call herself when half the multi-million dollar. Oh, just a fucking yeah, nightmare. Yeah, take her to take her to hospital. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah, isn't it? It's such a you know this happy film, but it, yeah, just such a just sounds like it was such a sad. Mm. I know, like actors just didn't. They weren't the pampered stars back then that they are today. But uh, take yeah. that, you pampered pricks! If you're listening, <laughs> listen how Dave. they used to do it. Dave filmed an ad the other day. I was looking <laughs> directly you. into Dave's eyes. Yeah, that's right. You that. better believe it. Uh, do you have your own trailer? Well, uh, let me just say that I was not set alight on set. <laughs> <laughs> that's words in my rider. <laughs> <laughs> Will not do nudity or be set on fire. I will do. Both of those exclusively. Yeah, only nudity and only if I'm on fire. Yeah, I will not do anything else. Ah, <laughs> oh, Chalky Milk ad. No, thank you. Let me see the script. Where's the fire? <laughs> <laughs> my agent is fired. Stop wasting my time. Uh, the article goes on to say, incredibly, the studio uh, called Hamilton the next day, wondering when she would return to set. So I know you've, you've uh, had a lot of burns. Our fault. On you. Um, Are you coming in? It's nine oh one. Looking at my watch. Um, yeah. Are you, you going to get your friend to pick you up and bring you in? <laughs> uh, it took her six weeks to recover, but even then, the nerves in her hand were still so exposed <gasps> that she had to wear green gloves rather than makeup. 
Nerves are exposed. Oh, that oh sounds God. so nasty. Yeah. She said she considered suing because they didn't look after it all no. monetarily or, I mean, even with a lift to the hospital. So she's like, do I sue? But opted against it uh, saying for the very simple reason that I wanted to work again. Yeah, it would ruin her, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, Miller continues, shortly after Hamilton returned to set after catching fire, she was asked to film another fire scene. Hamilton, a single mother, refused to take part in the stunt, but her double, Betty Danko, another great name, acquiesced and promptly caught fire herself. No. After flames again caught on the broom. Uh, Danko uh, later said, I felt as though my scalp was coming off. Oh. And she had to spend 11 days in hospital. Uh, Danko was paid 35 bucks for that day's work, which was a little bit higher than her normal $11 because she was doing stunt work. About the equivalent of 650 bucks today. Oh, my God. To be set on fire. $35. <laughs> the equivalent of six... Fucking hell. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just re- responding to inflation at the moment, yeah. <laughs> I've got to say. I, do, I mean, wow. yeah, that was based off some website, some inflation website I looked up. So I'm, I'm trusting them on that. Awful. Uh, it wasn't just the fire effects that were possible dangers to the cast. Also, the snow. In one famous scene, Dorothy is awoken from a deep sleep by falling snow. As it turns out, the snow was actually asbestos. (gasps) According to Atlas Obscura, during the early days of Hollywood, fake snow was commonly used in place of the real thing, and there weren't any computerised effects that could make snow. At first, cotton was used, but then a firefighter on a film set pointed out that it was a bad idea to cover the stage with a material that tends to help fire spread. Despite the fact that asbestos asbestos's health risks were already known at the time. Oh, they were. Not Maybe not to the same extent, but they were known. Film sets started using one of the purest forms of asbestos on film stages, in part because it was fireproof and looked close enough to snow that it would fool the audience. The effect was widely used in films of that era, but perhaps best known for The Wizard of Oz's poppy field scene where Dorothy is awoken from a deep slumber after Glinda, the Good Witch of the South, introduces snow to the scene. That white stuff covering Judy Garland, pure asbestos, of course, Whoa. in chrysotile form, making the material even more dangerous than the building form of asbestos because it was already fibrous and yeah. it wasn't like hard, you know, like they'll sheets build sheets. It, yeah. yeah, it was ready to be breathed in and they just dropped it on her. Ugh. That's so fucked. Um, on top of all this, as like I briefly mentioned before, the temperatures on set got intensely hot due to requirements for the new Technicolor process requiring particularly bright lights. Cinematographer Harold Rossen claimed people were always fainting and being carried off from set during the, due to the heat. I think I might have quoted Harold before. It was a quote so nice, I quoted it twice. <laughs> uh, the Technicolor was also the reason why the iconic slippers are coloured ruby red. I mentioned before in the book mm. they were silver and they were going to be silver in the film. But uh, Lewis or Louis B. Mayer wanted to show off Technicolor, so he picked a brighter colour. He went with the red. Uh, some of the visual effects were more tasty than toxic. And according to News.com, Jack Haley, the actor who played the Tin Man, explained, the oil Ray Bulger squirted at me to loosen up my joints was not oil but chocolate syrup. They squirted chocolate in my face because the oil wouldn't photograph right, but chocolate will. Kind of reminds me of that Simpsons scene, Dave. I I wrote it down here. Do you want to play? (laughs) Uh, You play the film guy. I'll play Martin and Ralph. I was uh, definitely thinking of this thing, even when you were talking about snow. Yeah, totally right. So who I'm film guy? You be film guy. I'll be be the boys. 
Uh, sir, why don't you just use real cows? Cows don't look like cows on film. You gotta use horses. What do you do if you want something that looks like a horse? Uh, usually we just tape a bunch of cats together. <laughs> Great bit. Great. Great bit. But I, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, the making of The Wizard of Oz might have been part of the inspiration for that scene. <laughs> yeah. Asbestos to be snow. Uh, chocolate sauce to be oil. Um, it's funny, yeah, oil, oh, oil doesn't show up on film. You've got to use chocolate sauce. <laughs> okay. Do they find that out by shooting him in the face with oil? Do you <laughs> yeah, think? hot oil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, what if we heat that's it up a even, shame. <laughs> let's heat it up even more, see if it works. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of horses, the horse that kept changing colours, I don't know if you remember this late oh, when yeah. they make it Oz. Um, uh, this is actually played by four different horses. Get out of it there. wasn't actually a colour changing horse. How do they come up with the colours? Well, they were covered in lemon and cherry and grape powdered gelatin. Uh, this is still, uh, from the uh, news website article. The horse apparently kept trying to lick the gelatin off. This may seem particularly cruel, as common wisdom is that gelatin comes from horse hooves and bones. In fact, the powder is mostly made of cows and pigs. <laughs> so it's fine. Is that a fun fact? <laughs> that is fun. And also, at first I was going, yum, and now I'm going, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so fun. Jelly's such a funny thing. To, it, it's uh, such a, like a sweet, fun yeah. food. I but love it's, jelly. It comes from the most full <laughs> process, boiling Hooves and bones. But I love jelly. I love jelly but so I much. I love it. I haven't eaten it in a long time. I think since I've had <laughs> What a shame. Um, nah, good on it. Good on jelly. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had jelly. In, I don't, it's not something I have frequently. It's Probably sh- the last time was when I had my wisdom teeth out and you just... Anything that you can... Oh, yeah. You know, just swallow. I think there are... You, not all jelly is made that way anymore, I don't think. Not um, all jelly. Not all jelly. Hashtag not all jelly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so in in the if you watch it, you'll notice that um, in some shots the horse is trying to lick it, and the <laughs> the guy riding the horse uh, is trying to stop it. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cute. It would be nice. Get out of it. Get out of it. Leave it. <laughs> Leave it. I'm googling vegan jelly. There has to be, right? I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yes. But in another way, and this is something that I reckon a lot of people listening right now will be saying, but isn't that, isn't that good that all the bits get used? And I think that's true too, right? But yeah. The yeah. Cow, the, you know, the beef's being used off the cow. Yeah. Why not use those bones? Were they going in the bin otherwise? Yeah. Let's make a fun treat out of them. <laughs> what else are we doing with them hooves? Yep. You're right. Give Let's all get jelly. As little chew toys. It's <laughs> my impression of dogs. <laughs> Is there a dog in the studio? (laughs) Sorry, just pause for a second. (laughs) Oh my god, where is it? (laughs) Speaking of dogs, it wasn't just the humans who human actors who were hurt on set. Oh no! no. Even Toto. Humans being mistreated, I can handle. (laughs) Oh, don't set Toto on fire, please. Please. (laughs) Yeah. Fur doesn't show up on film, so they had to set it a lot. <laughs> Flames look like fur on film. Oh, Terry. Uh, yeah, Terry. So uh, according to uh, an article written by Olivia B. Waxman, Oof. writing for Time magazine. It's a fucking great name. <laughs> B. Waxman. And B is the perfect yeah. uh, middle initial or every time. Yeah, she'd be Waxman. <laughs> Jessica B. Perkins. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> Uh, so, according to Waxman, an actor playing one of the Wicked Witch of the West soldiers, or 
Winkies, mm-hmm. uh, accidentally jumped on top of Toto. Oh. What? The dog, a female can terrier named Terry, sprained its foot, and the dog trainer, Spitz, had to get a canine double. Terry did recover and returned to the set a few weeks later. Okay. Apparently, so the... I can't remember if I write this down somewhere, but apparently the dog and the trainer got paid one twenty-five bucks a week, and that was and the, and the actors who played the Munchkins got paid fifty bucks a week. The dog got paid more than the Munchkins, right? But it is a star. Yeah, and apparently the dog's trainer regretted not asking for for more money because, like, he'd read the book and trained it ahead of time to be able to do all the things that Toto did in the book. So they're like, we need this dog. So he's like, I could have got oh, more money. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, wow, that was sneaky. <laughs> Toto goes on strike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a little taste of what I can do. Yeah, I've taught him to not do anything until I say, so. I've taught him not to be a scab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, taught him some principles. <laughs> so I, I mentioned briefly before multiple directors worked on the movies. They worked on it for uh, various amounts of times. Um, nearly all of them highly decorated. Some of them real assholes. Um, the first director, Norman Tarog, was an Academy Award director for Skippy in 1931. He was replaced early by Richard Thorpe, who was then dismissed by Leroy a month into filming. According to Leroy, Thorpe just didn't understand the story. To make a fairy story, you have to think like a kid. <laughs> and he was going about it too much like an adult, I think. Oh. Right, mate, you're using a little bit too much logic <laughs> for my liking, okay? So why don't you join us over here in the sand pit? <laughs> and have a little tanty. <laughs> okay, you think you need a little nap? Because it's nearly nap time. Uh, before Fleming arrived, George Kukur, Dave, do you know this guy's name? I should have looked at Kukur, a famous director, was briefly in the chair. Uh, he was already an Oscar-nominated director for Little Women in 1933 and would go on to be nominated uh, another four times, finally winning in 1964 for My Fair Lady. Hmm. But in this case, he would only sit in the director's chair for one week. Wow. Uh, in his brief time, he left a mark on the film, though, according to The Telegraph. In the short time he worked on Oz, he made over Garland's Dorothy, removing her blonde wig and stripping off her heavy makeup, and he urged... And he urged her to play Dorothy straight. Quote, don't act fancy schmancy. <laughs> so if it wasn't for him, we would have got a, a blonde, cake on makeup, fancy schmancy version of Dorothy. Uh, that same year, he was also fired as director on another film, Gone with the Wind. Oh, dear. Both time being replaced by Fleming, who won the Oscar for Best Director. I'm not like he was in the chair for a week, so I don't know. Sometimes it sound the way people tell it, it makes it sound like he was just keeping, he was just working. They needed to keep the movie going, so it was filling in until oh, Fleming was available, right. or whatever. But uh, yeah, but Fleming, he's the like. I mean, this is just one story, but it doesn't reflect well on Fleming, I would argue. According to the Telegraph, Garland had picked up a reputation for ruining takes with her giggling on set of previous film. Uh, Listen, darling. In but let's se- think like children, but no giggling. <laughs> giggling yeah. Shit. Yeah, I know. Uh, she's having a bit of fun on set, and, uh, yeah, we we don't abide by that. <laughs> uh, in a scene with the cowardly lion, Bert La, he was clowning, you know, playing. He's, like, quite a fun, funny character. And she was a 16-year-old. Uh, she found his clowning so irresistible that she fell about laughing. Fleming slapped her face. What? All right now, he growled, go back to your dressing room. 
Sent her to her room. Sent her slapped For her. laughing at somebody being funny. So depressing. That sucks. Um, in There was a an auto... Oh, not a, probably not an autobiography because it was written by someone else, but a biography written about <laughs> Fleming that uh, said he felt awful about it and he... And he, he, oh. he tried to make it. He said he went and apologized and said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't. Someone punched me. And, and then apparently Garland said, I don't want to punch you. I want to kiss you and kissed him on the nose. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, maybe that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was like, no, I, I needed that slap. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Please don't fire me. Um, please don't ruin my legacy. Oh. Uh, the Telegraph continues. Towards the end of production, which finally wrapped on March the 16th, 1939, a fourth director entered the mix. But I think that's more than four, isn't it? Anyway, uh, another director had entered the mix. King Vidor. Fleming had shot about 80% of the film when he was pulled to take over direction on Gone with the Wind, which he won the Oscar for. So it was down to Vidor to shoot all the Kansas sequences, including the iconic scene in which Garland walks around the barnyard singing... Over the Rainbow. You familiar oh, yeah. with the song? Of course. It's an octave. What? Somewhere. The, just that word somewhere is an octave. Oh. It's a, everyone can knows you, that. Can you sing it? Probably not correctly. No. Because yeah, I don't fully know what that means. But it means so like it's, like it's a range of sound yeah. or of, 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 of like tone. Eight tone. full tones. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> you don't have to do all of them. You get it. It's you get it. Some is one note, and okay. the, and the where is the same note but an octave above. I think I've ruined my voice. It's <laughs> because <laughs> you're somewhere. <laughs> like, like a fire siren. Really opening it up. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, one way to describe it. Um, Telegraph goes on. When Fleming returned to edit the movie, so he was away for all those the black and white scenes. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the film, uh, the Kansas scenes before she lands in Oz via the cyclone, mm. uh, it's all black and white. Then it opens up in a beautiful Technicolor. Mm. Uh, so Fleming was away for those Kansas shoots. King Vidor, what a name, uh, did all those, including the Over the Rainbow thing. Fleming returned to edit the film, and that scene caused him a great deal of grief. It had been written by Harold Arlen as a ballad to segue from Kansas to Oz, but Fleming thought it made the movie drag, and he cut it. Okay. (laughs) Arlen and lyricist Yip Harburg were frantic. We knew that this was the ballad of the show, Harburg said. This is the number we're depending on. We decided to take action. We went to the front office. We went to the back office. We pleaded. We cried. We tore our hair. In the end, it was Mayer who got Fleming to rethink his decision. The song went back in the picture, Harburg said. And, of course, you know what happened next, <laughs> Harburg said. It became a, a big hit and it, it won the Academy Award for Best Song. And it's the famous song of the film uh, after Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. Which of which? The Wicked Witch. Uh, it has been many years since I've seen it. I obviously remember the storyline and stuff, but I can't remember. Is there multiple songs? Is it musical the whole yeah, way through? Yeah, it, it is a musical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. It's not all musical. Yeah, I know they, they speak follow, as well. Follow, 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 follow the yellow brick ride. Oh, yeah. Okay, I remember that one too. With the munchkin. The, 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 the guild munchkin. We welcome you. To munchkin land. Mm. We represent That's the right. lollipop girls. That's, That's the it. one you're thinking yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not for me. 
I'm a lion. Here I go. Yeah. No, lions and tigers and bears. Oh, oh my. my. Lions and a classic. Yeah. Um, how many songs is your upper limit, Dave, in a, in a film? Two-hour film, how many songs are allowed? <sighs> you have a couple, I reckon. So two in it, like one an hour? Yeah, one per hour. <laughs> that seems reasonable. All right, is this Googleable? I tried to Google the octave thing because I was like, oh, I'm remembering that from when my friend no, Jackie it is. played. I, you Googled it? I remember, no, no, I remember it from my, uh, also my... High school? High school musical. Yeah, my friend Jackie played it. There were all these different had... songs you could remember for, for it to measure an yeah, interval. Yeah, it's like somewhere. That wasn't right. <laughs> that was flat <laughs> on the high. Somewhere over the rainbow. Nailed it. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot. There's uh, upwards of 15. 15 songs? Yeah, maybe more. There's the Jitterbug, which was cut. I'll talk about that later I briefly. I don't, don't remember that. Um, Obviously, it was cut, but I mean, I don't remember there being that many songs. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them were short ones in the Munchkin yeah. scene. Uh, we thank you very sweetly. Ding oh. dong, the witch is dead. As mayor of the Munchkin City, as coroner, I must aver. Oh, yeah. The lo- Lullaby League, the Lollipop Guild, we welcome you to Munchkin Land. You're off to see the wizard. They're all in that one scene. Yeah, damn. That was a song heavy <laughs> section yeah. of the film. If I only had a brain. Yeah, if the scarecrow. I only had a brain. Uh, we're off to see the wizard. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, yeah, there are a lot of kind of iconic ones. If I only had a heart. If I only had the nerve. So each of the animals mm. sort of, I guess they would, yeah, introduce themselves to their songs. It's been, I reckon it's been a little while since I've seen it as well. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Uh, but I thought I would remember it all, like, mm. exactly. I, I imagine watching it again, I'd be able to talk along with it. Probably. Sing along. It, uh, one other question I had wasn't. I don't I sing. <laughs> <laughs> I just, we're off to see the wizard. The wonderful, the wonderful wizard, wizard of Oz. <laughs> the whiz, the whiz, the whiz, the whiz, the wonderful. We'll wrap it. <laughs> The, uh, the other question I had was, I know it starts in black and white, then goes to beautiful Technicolor. When she goes back to Kansas, does she bring colour back with her or is she back into black and white? Oh, I don't remember. I feel like, because it would make sense that she'd bring the colour back, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. Think, but it was already a kind of like, it would have been a r- relatively dull palette. All right. That's a question with notice. I'll, I'll look that up um, when I get a sec later. Remind me. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. You. Or you, how about you look it up? I'll look it up. <laughs> how about you actually look it how up? How about you answer your own bloody question? Okay. Um, Sorry, everyone. <laughs> do you, what? What's the? You know, of all the cursed stories about the film, is there any that um, you know, like a quite a famous story about the film, possibly an urban legend? No. Is it about uh, a munchkin? Yes. Actor. Yes. <gasps> um, apparently, this is an urban myth. Um, this is according to Waxman. In a scene where Dorothy the Scarecrow and the Tin Man are skipping down the yellow brick road singing We're Off to See the Wizard, the Wonderful Wizard of Oz, some think the dark moving figure hanging from a tree in That's the background is, yeah. is an actor who hanged himself on set. More likely, it's one of the exotic birds that the filmmakers borrowed from the LA Zoo in order to recreate, or sorry, to create a wilderness setting. According to the fact-checking website Snopes.com, the rumour has been circulating around since 1989 the time of the 50th anniversary of the film's release. Wow. Yeah, so I thought I had to mention that because that, that comes up a lot. It's like, yeah, I'd heard it, but... Yeah, yeah, I definitely heard it too. That does ring a bell, but I'd completely forgotten it. I'm uh, watching the final scene on YouTube here. 
and it looks like they're in black and white. Yeah, back then, into that sepia tone. But the sort of. actors come back, right? That's the people right. who play the lion, yeah. the well, that, that's another wardrobe. thing. <laughs> the wardrobe man. I'll go through some of the differences later, but that is one of the differences between the book and and the film. Quite a big difference in the book. It all actually happens, and in the film, it was all just a dream. Uh, Such a cop out. Yeah. <laughs> I should say spoiler alerts. <laughs> Imagine someone's like, what? what? How dare you? I was what? saving that one. Saving this movie that's probably older than any listener we have. Uh, so Waxman also talks about another uh, grim rumour from the film. Um, in a memoir by Judy Garland's third husband, Sid Luft, pub- published posthumously in 2017, he wrote that the actors who played the munchkins, quote, would make Judy's life miserable by putting their hands under her dress. Ooh. Yuck. No, thank you. So that, I mean, that was, because that was published a long time after both of them had died and most of the actors who played the Munchkins had passed away as well. Right. So there's been no way to, you know, figure out how true this is or whatever. Um, Al Jean Harmetz, who I mentioned before, former New York Times Hollywood correspondent, told Waxman that it's true that the actors would go drinking near the Culver City Hotel where they stayed. And this is another thing. Apparently there's rumours that they would just be wild parties and orgies and stuff, but apparently that's played up as well. Mm. Um, the, uh, what happens in Oz stays in Oz, yeah. though, am I right? Exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, according to Harmetz, uh, their interactions with Garland did not rise to the level of what Luff described. Nobody on the movie ever saw her or heard of a munchkin assaulting her, Harmit said. But, I mean, that's she wasn't there. Mm. So, you know, it's just a, what a, yeah. There was an Australian uh, journalist who wrote an article at the time. He's like, there's one last reigning actor who played a munchkin. Why has no one asked them for their side of the story? And he tried to track them down, but uh, they they were 98 at the time. Oh, wow. And couldn't, but the, their representatives denied it, said that's, that's not true. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and apparently th- that that uh, Australian journalist got referenced in when the actor died soon after, got referenced in the obituary in a New York newspaper for writing that article, which is strange. And that's in, uh, that was, he tweeted that. Because I looked up this journalist and it, one of his tweets, uh, five things you don't know about me. I was referenced in uh, the one of the Munchkin actors' obituaries. Wow. Strange side note. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to a National Post article, for their presence in what is, uh, this is what I mentioned before, what is likely the most iconic American film in the history of cinema, the citizens of Munchkinland were paid less than Dorothy's dog Toto. Stephen Cox, author of Munchkins of Oz, wrote in his 1989 book, there's so many books that have been written about this film. Um, he wrote that the Munchkins were paid $50 a week, uh, about $900 today. Meanwhile, Toto and a trainer earned $125 a week, which would equate to about $2,300 per week today. The Munchkin cast never even saw their names in the credits, so they were just treated very poorly. Apparently, uh, some of the actors were bought by the guy who um, had the contract with the MGM. Bought from poor farming families and stuff I read somewhere. Oh. Just fucking grim. Um, yeah, so what a... Whoa. Is it so... Let's, I think it reading all this is make it hard to watch it again in the same way. Yeah. 
just like all the all the sadness behind the scenes. Yeah, wow. And also hearing that there's over fifteen songs. <laughs> it's really that <laughs> really kills really Dave's interest. <laughs> <laughs> it's too many. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So the production of the film was a nightmare on all sorts of levels, but how did the film fare at the box office and with critics when it came out in 1939? Susan King wrote an article for the LA Times, which helps answer this question. Oh, thank you, Great. Susan Great, Susan's always there so for us. handy. <laughs> Drop this, King. <laughs> it's a little uh, internet thing where they hand a crown back in emoji form. <laughs> yeah, I've been on the internet. <laughs> wow. Hey, you dropped this. <laughs> Uh, the Wizard of Oz was a moneymaker for its time, noted William Stiltman, co-author of The Wizardry of Oz. <laughs> another book. But, another book. But the average national ticket prize is at 25 cents. It was not expected to recoup the $3 million in production and promotion costs. Think about $3 million in today's money. You know, that would be quite a lot. <laughs> Rem- wow. Remember, film historian Scott Essman says, uh, movies in those days were very... Ephemeral. 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 Ephemeral, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Muttley's here as well. (laughs) Uh, There wasn't any TV or DVD on which to extend their life, he points out. So they came and they went and that was it. So Mm. they had one chance to make their money back. They saw it it as a way... Yeah, it was like a loss leader or something to them. I'm not sure quite what the logic was. Yeah. But they were like, we'll make a big thing and maybe it leads to other things, I guess. So do films then run for a really long time? Yeah, they must run for longer because people don't go, I'll wait for the DVD. Yeah, exactly. Go, yeah. If I want to see it, I've got to go see it. it. I'll never get a chance. They would watch it and go, if I ever want to see this again, I've got to go watch it now. Wow. Um, the initial re- Oh, I've got to buy the sheet music. <laughs> Relive it. <laughs> the, uh, the player piano. Somewhere. <laughs> Not the same when I do it. <laughs> The initial reviews for The Wizard of Oz were mostly positive, Stillman said, uh, with some comparing it favourably to the first full-length animated feature, Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. He said critics also singled out the performances, particularly Garland's and Lars, as exceptional. That's Dorothy and the Lion. Uh, But not everyone was enchanted. Some critics thought MGM was trying to impinge on Disney's territory, which I guess they sort of were, but... What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's like Disney can't... Hey, you don't make fun, whimsical films (laughs) that everybody can enjoy. That's Disney's thing. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you don't make fun, whimsical films that in the background is real grim and sad. That's Disney's thing. thing. (laughs) Uh, Some critics thought... uh, Yeah, sorry. Uh, Stillman said, while those who loved L. Frank Baum's Ozbook series were not happy with the film's modern touches, such as Wicked Witch of the West skywriting Surrender Dorothy above the Emerald City on a broomstick. There's a scene where she, yeah, like she's a, a plane skywriter. Well, they didn't like that. I didn't like that. So how could you get Surrender Dorothy out in Skywriting? Like the S is gone before you finish mm, Dorothy. Yeah. It's a bloody novel, You know what I mean? Yeah. Ridiculous. What you're best to do is get one of those ones that just has a little flag flying behind right. them. Yeah, some with you. You can have the longest sentence you want then. That's fine. I never, sometimes I'm like, oh, she's a witch anyway. Why is she having to get up there? Can't she just like snap her fingers and there her message is. will be there? Yeah. And if that's the case, why would you have it in just like smoke? I'd have it in like flames. Yeah, sparkly things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then like a little skull and crossbones or something just to be very intimidating. Initially, they were going to do it in flames, but the actor said, please. Please, please. Oh, my God. 
Uh, the Wizard of Oz was nominated for six Academy Awards, including Best Film, winning Oscars for Original Score for Herbert Stothart and Best Song for Over the Rainbow. That song that Bozo Victor Fleming wanted cut. Idiot. The film was re-released in 1949 and 1955, but which, uh, by which time Garland had become an internationally recognised entertainer, Stillman said. The film's all-American theme of solidarity, solidarity preservation and, uh, of home and vanquishing of evil forces resonated with audiences in patriotic post-war 1949, <laughs> and it finally recouped its initial losses and turned a profit. So this is 1949. So about 10 years it took to, to cover the costs. But the movie gained, uh, really gained iconic status when CBS aired it for the first time on November the 3rd, 1956. I just realised, and that's 100 years after Bourne was born. I don't know if that was coincidental. Oh, yeah. Uh, it changed the whole nature of that movie, Esmond said. It became an event to see this film. Bert Lahr, who had last seen Oz at its 1939 premiere, I imagine the actors on it would be like, I don't want to re- revisit this film. Yeah, especially yeah. what they've been through. Uh, so he, he came back to introduce the program for the television version, assisted by Judy's daughter, Liza Minnelli. The original 1956 broadcast was a huge success, drawing 45 million viewers. Wow. To watch a 17-year-old movie. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. But, it, I mean, yeah, that's, you think that's wild. The network didn't air it again until 1959 when it attracted even more viewers. <laughs> Wow. I don't know what the population was then. Dave, I don't know if you can check on that. <laughs> you got what, a lot what, of homework on this. USA like population 1956. <laughs> okay. um, All right. Just call me really, really handy having uh, a it, sidekick. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and I'm enjoying just watching you guys work. Well, I fact check. <laughs> uh, 168.9 million. So it's a, it's a big chunk of so the... one in three are watching yeah. it. Uh, the network... Uh, then uh, had a contract, uh, CBS, the network, had a contract with MGM for a third airing and subsequent showings established The Wizard of Oz as an annual special event, said Stillman. These special event broadcasts of the film cemented its place as an all-time classic. Uh, This is from a 1965 Time magazine article about the upcoming broadcast. Parents are again preparing for the occasion. It will occur this coming Sunday for the seventh straight year. And the children with a special relent, uh, restlessness will collect around the television set in much the way that their fathers do for the professional football championships. <laughs> for the program has become a modern institution and a red letter event in the calendar of childhood. According to Harmets, each time uh, for the first nine TV screenings, the film attracted at least 49% audience share. Whoa. Wow. Uh, this blew my mind. We're talking about, at this point. By the end of that, it's like twenty something years old, and it's half of everyone watching at least is watching any show on the TV at that point. Watch that, absolutely wild. Um, I was thinking I might give you some. Uh, I found this great listicle, love a listicle, that uh, goes through some of the differences and similarities between the books and the movies. I thought I'd go through and see which ones we haven't knocked off already. Um, the first one they do, uh, they change from the book. Dorothy is happy on the farm. During her life on the farm, uh, movie Toto bites a neighbour, Miss Gulch. Uh, being a nasty person in general, she demands that the poor dog be put to sleep. She, I think she, am I remembering this right? She 
then plays the Wicked Witch, I think. Is that the oh. same? I might be wrong there. Yeah. Uh, she even tries to kidnap Toto, but he manages to escape and make his way back home. None of these events happen in the book. In fact, Dorothy finds farm life rather pleasant, although it is a slightly harsh one. Uh, the next one, this one's say the same. Dorothy travels to Oz via tornado. <laughs> they do say the same. They say the same. Uh, in, we mentioned this one before. This was a change. The land of Oz is real. Uh, there's even a map that's drawn up. She actually got, gets lifted up, and this is a place on Earth, this land of Oz. Um, Where is it? Uh, Near Kansas, you idiot. How can I get there? <laughs> Unlike the Technicolor dreamscape displayed on the silver screen, the book version of The Land of Oz is far from being imaginary. In the film, Dorothy wakes up in her bed with several members of her uncle's farm around her. She realises that each person is a symbolic representation of different aspects of her dream. Uh, on the other hand, book Dorothy actually goes to a place called Oz, staying there for months at a time. In fact, when she finally returns home, she discovers that the farmhouse has already been rebuilt. In the movie, it was clearly depicted as destroyed. Um, right, so time has passed. So she's been away. Yes, that's right. Um, so, um, and I think I read that they got that from maybe from an earlier adaptation, either movie or play, where the actors played both roles at the farm and in Oz. So that wasn't a new for the film. That was taken from an earlier adaptation. Uh, this one, Dorothy kills the Wicked Witch of the East in both. That stays the same. Uh, Dorothy's slippers are actually silver in the book. Boring. Uh, boring. <laughs> and red. Fun in the movie. <laughs> Stayed the same. Dorothy and friends travel to the Emerald City. That does. That happens in both. That happens in both, yes. Uh, <laughs> change. The wizard has four different forms. The live-action adaptation displayed the gang meeting the wizard, who takes the form of an enormous ghostly head surrounded by mist. This is a real funny bit in the film when he's uncovered as just a goofball <laughs> behind a curtain, honking horns and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> honk honk no <laughs> and he's going don't leave that curtain alone yeah. very funny stuff <laughs> no 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 don't that dog get that dog away <laughs> um don't worry about that man you yeah, see, that, but it's that man who's lip syncing with me <laughs> he's possessed <laughs> by me <laughs> But in the book, the wizard meets each of the four char characters separately so he can create the illusion of true power in their minds. Though the magic of, uh, through the magic of special effects, the scarecrow perceives him as an attractive lady. The cowardly lion sees him as a burning globe and the tin woodman beholds a monstrous creature. However, Dorothy's vision of him matches the one seen in the movie. More importantly, the story was made less dark for audiences. Instead of asking for the broom belonging to the Wicked Witch of the West, as he does in the film, he simply demands her murder. <laughs> oh, okay. Dorothy would have been happy to do. Yeah, <laughs> happy to oblige. <coughs> See, in the film, he doesn't He doesn't even ask for it. She just does that. That's yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. He's like, I can get... You didn't say I can't murder her, though. <laughs> <laughs> she brings in the broom. He's like, oh, thank you so much. How did she take it when you uh, when you asked for it? Let's just say you won't be hearing from her for a while. Yeah, let's just say her troubles melted away. <laughs> uh, stay the same. Glinda helps Dorothy on her journey. Boring. Uh, change. The winged monkeys are unwilling captives. Oh. While the winged monkeys on screen are violent minions of the Wicked Witch of the West, on text they are under duress, being forced to serve the witch. This is because she possesses the magical golden cap, which I mentioned earlier in the in the story recap, which allows her to command the winged monkeys to do her bidding. 
Furthermore, there are limits placed on the enchantment. She cannot give them more than three orders before the spell breaks. At the conclusion of the book, Glinda returns the golden cap to the monkeys so they might free themselves from the curse forever. That's nice. Do you remember on The Simpsons when Mr. Burns has the winged monkeys? <laughs> yes. <laughs> just like I mentioned that before, I think. We were trying to figure out. And do they just like... Oh, sorry. Fall? Was it, was it when I, I was, was Googling something? something? Sorry, I'm really bad at concentrating on two things at once. <laughs> no, 100%. But we were trying to remember... Um, I think you've confirmed because we weren't sure if we made it up. Do they just sort of fall Yeah, out? they, they realise that they can't fly, so they just fly, fall out of his, <laughs> his office window, to the, presumably to their death. <laughs> and that's funny to you, is it, Dave? Very. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> and the final one is stayed the same. The wizard gives the heroes what they ask for, the heart. the. Mm. But it's it's kind of like a... I just remembered another, um, another Simpsons uh, reference where... Sideshow Bob says, and Snake, I'm going to miss you most of all. Which is what Dorothy, I think, says to Scarecrow. They use it it a lot. Um, Yeah, so uh, that's a screen rant uh, listicle, if people want to look that up. Links to uh, all these things in the show notes. I'm going to finish with a a few more facts, um, because there was so much grimness, I thought. I mean, these aren't that fun either. To be honest, even the funner ones are a bit grim. I'll be the one to decide that. This one maybe is a little interesting. It, it relates back to a previous bonus episode we did about the Mandela effect. It sounds like it's going to be one for you, Dave, because Matt says it's interesting. So that <laughs> okay. probably means dull. No, I, do, yeah, I don't <laughs> think it's all that fun. Um, so, you know, the Mandela effect is mm. where uh, people remember things collectively that didn't actually happen or remember them slightly differently often yeah. in a real dull, small way often. Oh, it's very interesting. Um, and we did a bonus episode once on Patreon, if you want to hear that. that's Yeah, that's right. I explain it in great detail, I'm sure. Um, best and Bears, all that sort of stuff. Uh, what was the film with the genie? Oh, we, yeah, we get into all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Shazam. Shazam. I remember that. Um, so, uh, in this case, a lot of people remember the Wicked Witch of the West telling her flying monkeys. Do you, would Fly, you? my pretties. Yes. She didn't say that. What does she say? She says, fly, 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 fly. She just says, fly. Wow. Oh. Why do we collectively remember yeah, fly, I guess I'm guessing it's like the Simpsons or some, maybe Mr. Burns said it or something like right. that. Yeah, I also can hear her saying it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I'm not sure, but yeah, isn't that strange? Fun, though? <laughs> it's kind of fun. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, it's not grim. This one, I, I, I reckon... Interesting more than fun, maybe. During this scene, the witch also tells the monkeys uh, that Dorothy and the gang will, quote, give you no trouble. I promise you that. I've sent a little insect on ahead to take the fight out of them, which I never noticed. But that makes no sense because it references a deleted scene. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where she, the jitterbug song that you didn't remember. Right, yeah. So she sent these, these jitterbugs and they bite the group or something, which makes them all sing and dance. And uh, there's a few different reasons I read that they took that out, for t- cut it for time. Uh, one said that it, it somehow related to alcohol and they thought it was a bad message for kids. I don't know what how that As worked. they showered a child in asbestos, they <laughs> yeah. were like, oh, this is bad for kids. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I've got the the Simpsons reference here, okay. which, which probably helps with it. Um, when they're talking about uh, Lisa's first word, and they they recall passing on a house that was just full of cats, and then Bart has a vision where he trains them. Uh, I could have trained them to be my unholy army of the night, and then he envisions, "Go, my pretties, kill, <laughs> kill." So it's another one. Yeah, that's. A- Wow. Yeah, uh, well, we must have said uh, half a dozen Simpsons. Oh, there's even a, a full page on the Simpsons wiki dedicated. There's 
There's a couple of dozen. Yeah, so the writers are obviously big fans of the film. Um, finally, this is from Smithsonian. Uh, Denzo, WDD, mm. WWD, uh, the illustrator of the first edition, used his royalties to purchase a piece of land off the coast of Bermuda and declare himself king. What an absolute king. I'm sorry. I think you dropped something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's cool. An island. Yeah, I, yeah. As long as there weren't people already living there, I think that's kind of yeah, fun. Okay, yeah, yeah, himself, yeah. Yeah. Himself king. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, you're right. We should probably look into that a bit more. Um, <laughs> and also from that same article, apparently, uh, this one's so weird. When Bohm met his first grandchild, Francis, he said that the name Ozma suited her much better, and her name was changed to what? Ozma. Okay. So they named her Francis. Yep. Presumably after him, Frank. Yeah, maybe. And then he went, no, Ozma. And that, and this everybody made up just name went, from one of my okay. books. Okay. Yeah. If my father in law walked in <laughs> after I'd just given birth and said, no, I would <laughs> Smoking end a cigar. And then I'd be like, oh, how about you have a look out the window here? Bang! Through the glass. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ozma grew up and had a daughter. What do you reckon Ozma named her daughter? Ozmina. Dorothy. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I thought you'd We hate get it. it. <laughs> One person in your family did something good. Get over it. Form your own personality. I imagine that they're I was still... on the same page with you, Bob. It felt like it's just like, oh, oh. Let, the kid, let the kid have a chance. It's so many generations yeah. ago. Yeah, but That's I imagine they're great, still. Great cash... grandfather. They're still cashing checks, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> You'll be named Dorothy. And it's not Dorothy that's a problem. My grandma's name is Dorothy. Cute. Dot. 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 Lo- adorable. She hates Love Gr- Dot, specifically your grandma. Dot. Oh, she hates Dot. Really? Yeah. Like it. Yeah. So she's, she's just full Dorothy. Dorothy. I like the name, but. Yeah. But not, I mean, come on. It's better than Ozma. Yeah, it definitely is. When she could have been Francis. Apologies to any Ozmas out there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Ozma. Or any fluffs or uh, TikTok <laughs> men. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, that's the end of, of my report on The Wizard of Oz. So, real roller coaster ride. Yeah, great work. It was epic, but I, I knew so little. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. The parts are like, oh, that's nice. And so many parts are like, oh, I'm oh, sad now. Yeah. <laughs> so, hopefully, people at home uh, are feeling okay. I mean, this did happen a long time ago. Yeah. Everyone's long dead. It's <laughs> a, it was a different time. Everyone you feel bad for, they're dead. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Is, what about Ozma? Too grim. Dorothy? Ozma's dead. Dorothy <laughs> might be alive, but Ozma's dead. Dorothy actually had a grandchild named Jessica Perkins. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> this is your life. <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. And I think um, for Primates listeners, I think I want to uh, jump back in for a one-off episode about this film at some point in the next few weeks. I mean, I'm saying it now, so I probably have to commit to that. <laughs> Because, of course, we had the the winged monkeys. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was always intending when I was doing Primates to do a Wizard of Oz episode. Just never quite got around to it. Um, so, yeah, if you want uh, in that, I'll go through the, the full plot of the film. Which will Including be all 15 songs? Including, I will, I will say all <laughs> 15 <laughs> songs. Looking forward Including to Including the jitterbug. <laughs> Which was cut, but it is a classic. 
So uh, that brings us to everyone's favourite section of the show, um, which is where we get to thank a bunch of our supporters. Uh, The first part of this is the Fat Quota Question section. That has a jingle. We'll get to that in a second. But (laughs) we're going to thank supporters from all different levels. And if you want to get involved, you can sign up um, on multiple different levels with different kinds of rewards. Uh, You get bonus episodes, like we are talking about before, the Nelson Mandela Effect episode. Uh, to give us the full title, it's just a Mandela effect, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, this month uh, I did another episode of uh, my new show, which is called Who Knew It with Matt Stewart, which is a fun game show Jess and Dave played with me. Lots of fun. Also, did a bonus report about the uh, moon hoax of mm. some year long ago. Like, yeah, 1840s. And yeah, that was, that was yeah. That's really really interesting. Where they like a an, a newspaper article tricked people into thinking that there was life on the moon and very detailed life. Yes. So that that was a really good story. I like that. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of stuff like that. You also get in, uh, access to a Facebook group ex- exclusive for our supporters, and yeah, heaps and heaps of stuff. So you can get involved in that at patreon.com slash dogoonpod or dogoonpod.com. Now, the first part of this section is everyone's favorite part of the show, the fact, quote, or question section, which has a little jingle, I think, goes something like this. Fact, quote, or question. Bing! He always remembers the ding. Is that an octave? So if I go fact, quote, or question, you go, so <laughs> <laughs> So, so in this one, um, uh, supporters on the Sydney Scheinberg Deluxe Memorial Edition level get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. They also get to give themselves a title. First one this week comes from Derek Brigham, who's given himself the title of Existential Crisis Manager. I could use that most nights as I go to sleep. Yeah, it's an um, important role. So if I could get your number, Derek, that would be handy. Derek, Derek I get your number. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, His advice is always just listen to a bit of fabulous film. <laughs> That's not a bad way to That's deal with it. That's a great way to go. To uh, sleep. <laughs> so, 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 yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that song always poses another question. What the fuck's he talking about? <laughs> yeah. Didn't even, I didn't even say the word. I, what is he saying? Su, su, studio. Yeah, I don't know what, what it means. Phil? <laughs> Come on, Phil. Uh, so Derek's asked a question, mm. which is. Have you ever had a crystallizing moment of realization that instantly changed your mind about something? Oh. Are you trying to Question trigger a crisis? This one. Trying to trigger an existential crisis? For example, most of my life, I was of the opinion that it was incorrect to have the toilet paper roll hanging with the end on the underside. Yep. I was I, staunchly I set in this belief until it was pointed out to me that some people have cats and cats like to bat at things. Hanging the roll the underside way prevents feline-based unspooling. Okay, well, <laughs> I don't changed... have a cat and I still ha- okay. I hate Okay, when it. you say underside, does that mean that the roll pulls away from the wall? No. So Okay, so the correct way to do it is the, uh, the roll is like a piece will be hanging over the top and you pull in it and it runs over this way. 
Like a waterfall. Like a waterfall. The incorrect way is, let's say, you've got your toilet holder sitting against a wall and the paper is running against the wall from the back of the roll. So he's like, saying he used to agree with you, but then the cat people change his mind. But you don't, you don't have a cat. So I don't have it. a cat. How do, how do you... Yeah, you got a cat. i got a cat, but I have no opinion on this. I've never noticed it. I, I don't know. Oh, right. I, I normally find these things fun that don't really matter and you, I will, you choose a side. I so will, maybe I'll pick one, but... I will change toilet rolls if mm-hmm. they are yeah, the right. way around. I just would not In notice. somebody else's oh, house. Thank God we agree on something, yeah. Jess. Oh, <laughs> we I'm agree with on you. so much. People, what are you about? people that, why are you running it against the wall? Yeah. No, um, I, don't, I have no, there's no logic to my any of my reasoning. I just don't like it. No, there is logic. It pulls away from the wall. Why would you go underneath, pull it? The cat thing, okay, I've never heard that before. Yeah. But Maybe also, that would account for a small percentage of the population with a right. cat. But a lot of places, at, at, at a workplace, why do people hang it the wrong way? Yeah. There's no cats in the workplace. I imagine it's people like me just chucking it on. Yeah. <laughs> Not thinking about it. Or no, there's, there's also, maybe there's people who are s- s- cat people who but, are putting it the other way. There, yeah. there is also people who are the opposite of Jess and I who are staunch saying, yes. right. no, we're wrong. And that, uh, without the cat. Without the cat thing. They just say, why would you do it our way? Which I also think. Yeah. yeah, right. I didn't know this was as big as that. Yeah, I think you need to start caring. All right, I'm going to start noticing. This is your our well, new... You, I mean, maybe the reason I don't care is because a gentleman never shits. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really have an experience in that area. <laughs> do you, so do you have an answer for this, though? Oh, oh yeah. I can't pinpoint a, a, a moment, so maybe yeah. this doesn't quite count. But I do definitely think, as a kid, my dad would put music on in the car and I'd hate it. Right. Fleetwood Mac. Elton John, yep. <laughs> Deep Purple. Now I listen to all those acts and I'm like, these are some great songs. Oh, great. Yeah. So I, I can't pinpoint the second that it changed. Like, I wish that I could be like, oh, and then I heard Dreams by Fleetwood Mac and I was like, oh, oh wow. God. But yeah. like, just over time now I'm like, three great artists. Oh, yeah, there's t- I've totally got some. Oh, I've got an example of this. Now I can't quite pinpoint it. But yeah, that that's really interesting when you you go, oh, no, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah th- right. this is good. And then you listen more and now it's like completely, I can't even think of what I was thinking as a kid, why I hated it so much. But he'd put on Elton John Greatest Hits and I'd be like, oh, this is the right. worst music I've ever heard. And now I recognise, oh, these are some of the most influential pop songs ever yeah. written. Yeah. yeah. I think um, I think that happens to me with music a bit where I'll, I'll sort of write off an artist a bit just because of reputation or whatever. And then a friend or someone I, like, I often ask people what their favourite band is or whatever. And um, one example was I, was I just wrote off John Mayer as being like a whatever kind of act because all I knew was my body is a wonderland, mm. which makes me full body cringe, <laughs> just that lyric. But, um, my body is wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> but a friend uh, who said he's like John Mayer's his favourite uh, musician and he made me this mix CD and I'm like just knowing that he loves I'm like... My friend, he like he, he's not silly. He likes it for a reason. So I listen to it with new ears and go, yeah, this is pretty good. And I could I could listen to John John Mayer music now. Hmm. Even songs, my body's one. Maybe day? not that one. Was that on the mix? Ah uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I think that happens to me a bit. Whereas um, yeah, just someone will go, I love this. I go, well, if you love it, yeah. then there's something in it, and and it fully opens my mind up to it. And I I reckon uh, that sort of proved to me that I I think. I can like any music if I want to. Wow, you can just will yourself. Yeah, you go, oh, there's something, like someone's made this. Yeah. If it, it wouldn't be out there to hear if everyone thought it was rubbish, mm-hmm. probably, apart from really cynical, um, uh, you know, music producers and stuff. But mm. 
Yeah, so that, that that's probably a good example of that. One day I'm going, John Mayer. Pfft. <laughs> the next day I'm going, John Mayer. Huh. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's about, that's about John Mayer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Uh, Mr. Mayer. <laughs> uh, did, did you have any thoughts on that one? The only one I could think of was that I hated Emily Blunt for a long time because the first movie I saw her in was Devil's, The Devil Wears Prada and she's terrible. Well, she's like she's good at the end, but she's just this awful person. And so I was like, I hate her. She sucks. And then saw her in comedies. I was like, oh, I love you. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. It turns out you're just a very good actor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're just doing a job and playing a role well. I and I fell character. for it. I fell for it. Now I love her. Oh, that's sick. I think she's great. The other one that's happened for me, and this is instantaneous, is with food. A lot of, I've written off yeah. foods before. Yep. I remember in high school having avocado toast at my girlfriend's house and thinking, oh, my God, I do not like this. Oh, oh well, I guess I'm going to eat it. And then being like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, and ever. never looking a- back. Avocado, that ha- same thing happened same. to me. I always just, I looked at it, I'm like, that looks yuck. No. Yeah. No. And then I was at, I was uh, working at Safeway, Trolley Boy, and I was on, going on a break with my mate who worked in the bakery, and he was picking up, uh, he'd grow a six-pack of rolls and avocado, tomato, Packet of cheese. I'm like, the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, that looks gross. <laughs> and he goes, nah, it's so good. And I go, oh, I'll try it. And I like, it's funny because it might change my mind. I'd never tried it before it turned mm. out. And I still eat that combo today. Yeah. This is, this is more than a decade. This is like, <laughs> yeah. this is a long time ago. And I still so had that yesterday. <laughs> Black pepper. Do you think of him every time? Yeah, I think can. of him every time. I haven't, I haven't seen nice. him for, since, like, since those days. <laughs> since hope that he, day. Hope he's well. <laughs> He's like, you're welcome. And then walked out through a door and you never saw him again. My, yeah. my work here is done. <laughs> I turned around and he'd gone. <laughs> oh, didn't I? <laughs> you didn't do anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, food definitely is food, like. yeah. So I think, yeah, people, I'm very open to suggestion. Mm. Like, oh. I'm, I had an opinion on this based on nothing. I hated, I wasn't big on cheese for a very long time. Like, yeah. And then went to Paris and my friend made sandwiches and it was like ham and brie. <laughs> and I was like, mm, I mean, she's made it. And, <laughs> and tomato. And I ate it. And I was like, oh, brie's delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> now I love cheese. Uh, thank you so much for that question, Derek. Hopefully that was... <laughs> Is that what, what you were looking for? Is that what you wanted? Do you wanted more interesting things than I didn't like avocado and now I like avocado? Um, the next one comes from Bron Alday, all day, every day, and Bron's title is the very model of a modern major med. Oh, you got me! You, fuck. <laughs> you got me! Yes, Bron. The very model of a modern major general. Uh, well done, Bron. You got me. <laughs> You're, you're happy? That's what you said. You got me. You got fuck. me. You're fuck. You're happy. That was a bit much, to be honest, Bron. <laughs> I appreciate, think I like it. Appreciate your support. <laughs> you another, fuck. <laughs> another great uh, Simpsons reference when uh, oh Barney and Homer are going one on one to go to space. And then oh, yeah. Barney does all the backflips while sing, saying that. <laughs> that's right. And the very modern major of a modern major general. And then I was like, that's nothing. There once was a man from Nantucket and then slammed straight into a wall. Okay, so Bron's also asked a question. Bron writes, what is something that growing up you always dreamed of having? And when you were old enough or financial enough to afford it, it was so worth it. 
I ask this as I sit here looking at my feet. She bought her feet. She bought your feet! Which inspired this question. As a teenager of the 90s, all I wanted was a pair of cherry red eight-hole Doc Martens, which would be the only true way to express my teenage angst. (laughs) But it was uh, way out of my financial ability at the time. Time went on, as it does, and priorities changed. But finally, at age 37, I saw a pair one day and impulse purchased them, and they made me feel all the punk rock emotions yeah. that I thought yes. I would. That's mm. awesome, Brian. It's love now that. six years later. I've worn them to a Green Day concert, and they're back in fashion, and I still love to wear them on particularly angst-ridden days. Yes, that's great. Thank you for answering your own question as well. Yes. Uh, that's something that's that, uh, people are doing that really well now. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like if if we were not weren't asking for it, they might be like it feels a bit rude to just yeah. ask the question <laughs> so I can answer. It. But it does make it way more interesting if you are in this uh, to answer your own questions as well. I have quite a sincere answer. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um, when I was in high school and I was studying photography, and we studied the work of Max Dupain. He has a an, a picture taken in 1937 called The Sunbaker. It's my favourite. And I said, like, you know, my dream was one day when I – I was, like, 17. I was, like, when I have my own house and, you know, I'd have a print of that over the fireplace or something. And I said this to my mum, sort of, like, that to me was, like, a measure of being an adult and being successful. And for my 27th birthday, my mum gave me a print of it and it's up in my house. And so I wanted it for 10 years and I've got it. It's not over a fireplace and it's not in a house I own, but it was like something I wanted for a really long time and I, I love it. Oh, that's sick. Yeah, it's that's really, really nice. nice. Yeah, I told you it was sincere. It's gross. I have a similar story. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, similar story. I was a very big fan in high school of the Picasso painting Guernica, the giant mural, mm. and uh, I worked hard and I saved up several hundred million dollars. <laughs> and now that is hanging in my house. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm very proud of for, you. For a long way through that, I'm like, oh, my God. No, I knew How straight Dave- away. <laughs> How Dave grew up. It was so... D- oh, I, <laughs> no, I have been to, to Madrid to see the painting twice, and it's really... It, it was, it, it, just, and I met the artist. Yeah. And, uh, and, it's, and it was fucking awesome. Uh, no, my thing is um, I always wanted a globe of the world. Yeah. And a couple of years ago I bought bought like a small... It's, a, it's, it's black. Which like, features in our... Does it? Yeah, yeah, which is in our web, web series, series. Yeah. like as one of the props, and I bought that just on also on an impulse purchase. I was like, I've always wanted one of these. So yeah. It's just at like at a, a bookshop type place um, that sells sells cards and all sorts of old antique type stuff. It's not actually an antique, but I was just like, I'm getting it. I'm yeah, getting it. That's great. And yeah, I love it. I think mine, uh, the first one that came to mind was I. Uh, this um, shows my age a bit more, but um, I wanted a horse and carriage. (laughs) 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 Now, go on, tell us something sweet and sincere. I wanted a a Model T. (laughs) No, I um, uh, I always wanted a video camera, but you just couldn't have, like, I mean, we just couldn't afford one. Yeah. I, don't, I would have asked my parents for. I can look here, and it's like just can't afford them. The only now, way to get now one, you, you find them on hard rubbish, probably. <laughs> yeah. But. The only way to get one back then was to win the JVC pack from <laughs> yeah, Funniest right. Home Videos. Exactly. But to get that, you had to have a video camera to film yourself to yes. be on Funniest Home Videos. So it was a, this horrible cycle. Yeah. yeah. Trickle down economics does <laughs> yeah, not work. work. Yeah. Yeah, we you just give video cameras to people with video cameras. <laughs> we never had one. They were they were really expensive. You're right. They weren't common. So and my. 
I've got a kind, you know, kind of wealthy um, auntie uncle, and they they had one, so I'd I'd see them use it, and I'd I borrowed it one time, like oh this is so good. I borrowed it for a high school project, mm. and it just felt like it was the best. And then um, uh, I just I'm like oh one day, and then yeah I saved and saved, and they they were coming down in price as well. And then just after I turned twenty one, I bought one. I mean, the, it would have lost value <laughs> the next year by most of it, but it cost like I think it cost a grand or something. Yeah, wow. And uh, yeah, filmed a bunch of stuff. Took it, you know, made little movies and stuff. Still got a. I, I filmed my grandparents who are now have passed away. I, I interviewed them, and I cannot find the tapes. Oh. I interviewed them both about their lives. That's such a great idea. Yeah. And I, I started this documentary project in two thousand and one. Wow. No, 2002, sorry. That was, um, no, hang on. That doesn't add up. In the 2000s sometime. Or was it my 18th birthday? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't really matter at all. But <laughs> very important to get these details right. Yeah. But I, but I, whatever it was, it was a 20-year project. It was a time capsule and I interviewed, like, my dad and a bunch of people and I'm like, and it would be, like, in the next few years that it would be coming oh, up. Oh, cool. And I cannot find the tapes. Damn. But um, yeah, it was it was just such a fun thing. So it's funny that it ended up sort of um, mm. helping run a production company because this was this was the, sort of the dream. Yeah. And now I do. I'm never behind the camera. Yeah. Never really <laughs> learned to do it in any decent level. <laughs> but it's fun. We're, we've got a, a camera as a, a podcast now, which is much better than that camera I bought, which I still have. Mm. Uh, haven't, don't, don't have the heart to get rid of it. But um, especially because if those tapes turn up, yeah, it's, it's the easiest way to play them. Uh, yeah, so cool. I don't know. That was a bit sincere too, maybe. No, that's nice. Um, so thank you for that question, Bron. These are taking us longer than normal. <laughs> uh, the next one, how's this for a name? The next one comes from Paloma Velasquez. Ooh. Oh, I love it. Uh, who's given themselves the title of Spooky Vicar. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's so good. They're one of my favourites for ages. <laughs> and Spooky Vicar. And Spooky this is Paloma's uh, quote. He'll see us. These were actor James Dean's final words. I used to live on the James Dean Memorial Highway in California where he said this seconds before the head-on collision that killed him, which is where I learned this grisly quote. If you could choose your final words, what would they be? If this is an illegal quote question hybrid, ignore last sentence. Um, Oh, last words. Mine would be laters. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would be oh, one more thing. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. The treasure is buried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be fucking with whoever's left behind. There'd be no one around. <laughs> avenge, avenge me! <laughs> yeah. Don't pack my asshole. <laughs> and, and it's an important one to say, yeah, and have on the record. Is that yours, Dave? Don't pack my asshole. <laughs> That's good. Don't pack. Don't pack my. Don't pack my asshole. <laughs> Wait, you didn't finish. Don't pack my. Don't pack my what? Don't pack what? Uh, thank you so much, Paloma. Great, great one there, Spook- you spooky vicar. Spooky, <laughs> spooky vicar. And finally, uh, one from Jacob Lane, who uh, <laughs> is giving himself the title of the ex Simpsons guy who still listens to the podcast and loves it, but deleted Facebook because I was it was driving him up the wall. So he doesn't record the Simpsons references anymore, but he still appreciates them. This episode hey. was 
heavy Jacob. Yeah, I was thinking of Jacob throughout the episode. <laughs> yeah. And well done for deleting Facebook. Very jealous. Hopefully that wasn't because of us. <laughs> the pressure from yeah. the yeah. show. That did start feeling like a nightmare that you... Um, I'm, I'm glad you found it out there. Because that, that just yeah. feels like a stress. Don't stick around for us. Thanks for still listening. It is. We love you still. It's the nicest place on Facebook for sure. But, yeah, as a, as a general rule, it's a bit of a time trap and just a... Yeah. Yeah. Bums me out. Uh, so Jacob's question is uh, boxes or briefs? Ah, it's very close to another podcast. Great questions. Papa Dums or bread? <laughs> <laughs> Papa Dums or bread? I was so confused when I first heard that. What do you mean? What? What? At what place is offering you Papa Dums or bread? <laughs> Apparently everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I was working at, a, I used to work at a, a store that sold underwear. It was sort of primarily. I can say the brand. I used to work at Bonds, and um, uh, I got very good where I could pick if people were a briefs or a trunks kind of kind of right. guy. What would you say the ratio is? Uh, trunks more popular. Briefs tend to be an an, an older style, mm. but not necessarily. So I haven't worn a brief, I reckon, in 20 years. Mm. Wow. I, was, you've, uh, I mean, let's still give her a chance. Jess, you said this is your talent. See if you can guess what <laughs> Jess would say. <laughs> Dave, Dave is trunks. Oh, you've seen me walk, walk exactly, around so trunks. I know for sure his trunks. <laughs> I've seen his trunks. Yeah, we've seen more than my trunks. <laughs> And I've asked you to stop flashing. Who have seen is Ray Bolger. <laughs> hey, Ray Bolger's looking out for Ray Bolger. <laughs> I regret starting this. <laughs> I really appreciate you loving that one up to me. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that's what you were doing. <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm also boxers. Boxer briefs. So it's sort of like a hybrid, right? But that's kind of what boxes are now. Nobody's wearing boxes. I am old enough that there were like silky Marvin the Martian boxer shorts at some point. And can I just say that there is actually a third option? What's that? And that is employed by Shane Warne. Remember, he would always ask, boxes, briefs, or commando? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Mine's a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did ask that of uh, Chris Martin in that interview, which I watched in full to try and find that scientist reference, but I couldn't find it. Mine's a scientist. Mine's a scientist. Did he delete it, or did Tony Martin invent it? Mandela effect? Or is it Mandela effect? Holy shit. Um, so that's the last of the facts, the quotes, and the questions this week. Uh, if you want to get involved, like I say, uh, get on uh, patreon.com slash pod or doingonpod.com and sign up on the Sydney Schoenberg Deluxe Memorial Edition, blah, blah, blah. I wear blah, long blah. johns. Oh, long <laughs> johns. The Sorry, flap. The full, with the flap. <laughs> the poop shoot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, and if anyone is on this level and is like, how do I get involved in it? You do get a message when you sign up that explains it, but I know there's some people on this level who have never given us a fact quote or question, and I wonder if they're, they're choosing not to or whatever, but if you are keen, send me a message on Patreon Messenger. There's a message thing in there, and uh, let me know. And that's the same if anyone's got any Patreon questions. Some people occasionally, I really hope this doesn't open a floodgate, but sometimes people go, I haven't had my shout out. I I feel like it should have been there by now. Happy to answer those questions. Having said that, it does take about a year or so. It takes more. The delay is is longer than a year. So if if you've been waiting for 18 months and it hasn't happened, then get get in contact and I'll figure out. And if symptoms persist, see your doctor. (laughs) I'm still looking about Ray Bolger. (laughs) It's very funny. (laughs) 
But also, Dad, put on some pants. <laughs> but also, thanks for the compliment, guys. <laughs> hey, Ray Bulger's come in all shapes and sizes. <laughs> and all Ray Bulger's. <laughs> Uh, another thing we like to do is thank a few of our other Patreon supporters. This is the one that uh, might have taken, um, let's see, these people who we're shouting out now signed up last March. So March? Last March. Last March. Who, <laughs> <laughs> March? <laughs> uh, and normally just comes up with a little game for us to play as we shout them out, somehow relating to the topic. I mean, you, what there, there could be a... a uh, what's what are the things like the hat, the golden hat, sort of thing? Or what them, about like their oh. people? Are look, what they're on their quest for, like a heart. Oh okay. yeah, that's yes, much that's better. better. <laughs> they could have a golden hat. <laughs> <laughs> what colours their? <laughs> what kind of what what mode of transport do their monkeys have? <laughs> Well, Segway, my pretty. Segway. <laughs> That's actually a Mandela effect. Though. She just says, Segway, 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 Segway. <laughs> all right, if I could kick it off, if that's all right with Please, you. Please, yeah. From uh, Minneapolis, the Twin Cities in Minnesota. That's a fact I learned recently. They're the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and maybe St. Paul. Paul in uh, Minnesota. Uh, I'd love to thank, if I may... Dan Higgs Matzner. Oh, Dan Higgs Matzner. Well, his hat is... <laughs> okay, he's wearing a green hat, but that's unrelated. Yeah. But Dan, on a quest for... Um, horse. His, oh, his horse legs. Horse legs. <laughs> oh, he wants to become a centaur. He wants to be a centaur. <laughs> and he's just got these two boring human legs. We started so surreal. I thought we were going to go with confidence or something. Uh. <laughs> we've gone straight to horse legs. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to help. I just said a word. <laughs> Dan, he, he's like, and he's got a song, If I Only Had yeah, My Horse Legs. Dave's turning off. Dan, we wish you all the best. And at the end, the wizard says, hey, your horse legs were with you all along. <laughs> he looks down. Oh, my God, horse legs. <laughs> oh, my God. I was wondering where that clip clock was yeah, coming from. Because the whole movie here is just filmed from the waist Yeah, up. you never see. More likely, though, the wizard would give him a couple of coconuts. Yeah. Here you go, mate. Ah, oh, symbolic. Um, thank you so much, Dan. I'd also love to thank from Wabash or Wab- Wabosh, Wabash in Indiana. The great state, God's country in the United States, Kevin Haggerty. Kevin Haggerty is, of course, looking for his appetite. Appetite. Oh, he well, lost his appetite. He lost his appetite. Oh my I'm goodness! Hungry. Easy to do. People put uh, some food in front of him, and he's like, "Eh." At the same time as someone was doing a toilet paper argument, he's like, "Ugh, that's really put me off." <laughs> That actually, oh. I don't like to think of the toilet. While I'm eating. Because, first of all, a gentleman never shits. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being on board with that, Kevin. Um, so he's lost his appetite. But, uh, at, but then at the he end, can't get it back. He can't get it back. But at the end, the, the wizard yeah. says, how about this? Gives him a plate of avocado toast. <laughs> and he thinks, I hate avocado. Takes one bite. I love avocado. And I can't stop eating yeah, it. can't stop eating. <laughs> and then there's an avocado shortage. <laughs> because of Kevin. Kevin. Kevin just goes too hard. Uh, good luck, Kevin, with that. Uh, and finally, from me, I'd love to thank from Pakenham, just in Melbourne here in Victoria, Australia, Ashley Wainwright. Ashley Wainwright. Looking for 
some eyebrows. Oh, went to a, a bucks or a hens. <laughs> lost the eyebrows. Lost the eyebrows. Shaved off um, and looking for ones that uh, she's able to control a bit better. You know, she'd love to be able to do, you know, one up, one down, like Twain the Rock Johnson. Oh, yeah. Kind of thing. But good to have eyebrow control. Yeah. Yeah. That is oh, Jess is good at it. Who wow. gave you those? Who gave you those? The wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I can do one sort of, I think, but not the other at all. Yeah, your left is very good. I have terrible control, so I've actually you find a way to get these eyebrows if you find out where I can get them. I'd love yeah. a hot tip. Send us a message. Thank you so much, Ashley, and good luck on your journey. May I thank some people? Please. I would love to thank from North Walshen in Norfolk. I would love to thank Morgan Newstead. Morgan Newstead. Norfolk, Dave. That's where um, Partridge is from, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yes, he does Radio Norwich. Norwich, in which I think is in Norfolk. And that's right, he did the documentary. The, he talks in the, From the Oast House, he talks about doing a radio documentary on Norfolk because he told his wife he was doing it. And then he had to do it. He had to commit to it. He <laughs> to get a bit of time, time away. And then he... The actor had to actually. He had to do make it. the documentary. And then he get, what does he say? It's one of the best. It's one of the best things I've ever done. But no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Very funny stuff. <laughs> uh, so what is Morgan, Morgan looking, looking for? for? I think. Uh, oh, the uh, Morgan's looking for their TV remote. Oh yeah. Great. It's kind of on the couch cushions. I'm currently looking for my TV remote. Lost really? it. Uh, last week. Oh, no. How? I don't know. Can you... Is Just it, haven't really had enough time to dedicate to the search. Sure. Is it the kind of TV you can still turn on? Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Wow. But, I, but turning off, uh, I have to unplug it. Oh, oh that's <laughs> that annoying. annoying. So you push one of the side buttons, it goes on, but yeah, have to unplug to turn off. Mm. Mm. I hope you find it. I hope your search is successful, and I hope Morgan's is as well. Yeah, Morgan, uh, I'll be right there with it you. It is. Hey. <laughs> Morgan, you, Morgan gets it again, so... And the wizard gives Morgan a... Universal th- remote. Yeah, their remote now has, like, some magical powers. Yes. <laughs> their remote is now, like, it's kind of turned the TV into a smart TV. Oh, wow. Which is very convenient, yeah. Wow. What the, yeah, no, like, because he, he's really inconsistent, this wizard, because he gave, didn't he give the, um, when the scarecrow wanted a brain, gave him sawdust. Yep. <laughs> and this time he's being, he's given something... Actually really helpful. Actually helpful. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of... That's how the wizard basis, works. Basis yeah, he's sort of he's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, Morgan. I would also love to thank from Walla Walla in uh, Washington. Yeah, would love to thank Sarah Stephen. Walla Walla had a real. I, when I saw Walla Walla, I saw WA. I'm yeah, like, that's Australia. Definitely. That's why I said it like Walla Walla. They might say it differently. They probably say Walla Walla. Probably. <laughs> but I was like, Walla that's Western Walla. Australia. It's going to be Walla Walla. Sorry, let me get in the character. I am an American. <laughs> Walla Walla. Walla Walla, Washington. <laughs> I like it. She's added great on ears, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Sarah is looking for her lost appendix. Oh. Was removed. Really? Without her permission, mind oh, you. The no. end of the book. Is that the bit that... Um, tells you what things are on what pages. Yes, looking for. No, I'm with you now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that blank look really made me panic. <laughs> oh no! What is that? A homonym? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, two types of appendix. She's looking for both. Whoa! Whoa! So if you see either, yeah. First, she's got to find her book appendix. <laughs> And then, and that says that what page? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what page? The treasure map to find her removed appendix. 
And, yep, she will find both. So that's that's good news. Um, finally, for me, I would love to thank from Dublin, in Ireland, Ian Kennedy. Ian Kennedy looking for his, um, his, uh, how do you say, how do you say, how do you say, je ne sais quoi. Mm. <laughs> Ian looking for his je ne sais quoi. He's lost his je ne sais quoi. Yeah, which is a hard thing to find. Yeah. Because it's a hard thing to describe. But uh, guys, I, I'm looking for my. Oh, how do you say? Uh, oh, how do you say? My, uh, my, mm. my je ne sais quoi. Ah. And then he goes on this amazing journey, learns so much about himself. Yeah. Gets to the wizard, and the wizard's like, Ian, <laughs> Ian, how can you lose your je ne sais quoi? You never lost it, you mate. You never lost your je ne sais quoi. You never lost your je ne sais quoi. And then just in that moment, Ian just feels a warmth mm. rush He's straight through. Himself. He's pissed himself. <laughs> and he goes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's my je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> what a silly little riff we went on. But enjoy that. Um, Dave, would you like to thank some people? I would love to. Thank you a couple more people now. You want now. a fucking invitation for this? You want to just do your job? <laughs> Wasn't sure if you'd done three or... Yes, you have. I, no, I I just realised I'd, I'd counted out ten. Sorry, Dave. Highlighted hey, one no too many No worries. There. Well, the let me... The new highlight system has fallen apart there. <laughs> well, let me take you actually to Western Australia this time, to Linwood, and I would like to thank Catherine Porter. Porter. Catherine beautiful Porter. winter beer. Oh, Okay. You work with that. Looking for a looking for a uh, an inner warmth. Oh, okay, yeah. yes, and a pub and a robustness. <laughs> they often describe port a robust porter. Oh, looking for a robustness oh. slash inner warmth. Yeah, and the, the, does the wizard just give them a large jacket? Yeah, because uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Catherine used to be famous for her robustness, but she's had a you know a couple of weeks. She's like, I don't, I'm just feeling a little less robust, which is fine, of yeah, course. Of course. But she wants to get her back, and that's where the journey's taken her. <laughs> well, I it's wish you, time. I wish you luck, Catherine Porter. And next up, I would like to thank from an unknown location. I can only assume deep within the fortress. Of the moles. Wow. Um, it's just a first name here, and it is Jedediah. Jedediah. Jedediah, big thank you to you for your support. Not sure where you are listening to this, but if it is in the Fortress of the Moles, please say hello to your mole leader. <laughs> <laughs> Send them our best. <laughs> hey, we love the moles, and we look forward to their eventual second coming. <laughs> That's right. Hi for one. Uh, welcome our new mole overlord. <laughs> Uh, Jedediah, um, sounds very much like Jebediah, mm. had a great hit song, Teflon, mm-hmm. which is a, 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 a slippery uh, substance. Yeah. And that is what it's Jedediah <laughs> is looking for. A slip and slide. A slip and slide. A very big one. Yes. Well, no, he's got it, mm-hmm. but it's lost its slipperiness. Right. Yes. And you don't want to no do No matter how much detergent he puts <laughs> on oh, it. If you're doing it with that sli- sli- slip and s- slippery stuff. Yeah. You're getting a burn. Yeah. So it's just something's happening. It's just, it's really sticking. Lube it up. Yeah. <laughs> he needs some of that balm oil lube. Mm. <laughs> well, the, the wizard's got heaps of that. <laughs> Try chocolate syrup. <laughs> if, the, <laughs> if the oil's not working anymore, apparently, yeah, chocolate syrup, great substitute. Works every time. Uh, thanks, Jedediah. And finally, I would like to thank from Brackenridge in Queensland, Nick Dancer. Hold me closer, Nick Dancer. Oof, good stuff. Um, 
Elton John also obviously had a, a whole album uh, referencing The Wizard of Oz. You could go through so many pop culture references to The Wizard of Oz, but he had a Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was a big album of his, wasn't it? Yeah. We did an Elton John episode, didn't we? We did. Yep. I think you Jess did report yeah. on it. She's looking more confused than anyone. Um, Nick Dancer, though, our final entrant here. What what is Nick looking for? Nick what does is he need? looking for his dance partner. Right, he's looking yeah. for love. Where for is his the dance, dance partner? partner? Yeah, looking for love in all No, I mean places. just a dance partner. He's in oh, a competition. No. Oh, okay. His Literal partner said partner. they were going to the bathroom and they have not oh, come back. Oh, they got really nervous. Yeah, and so he's looking for his dance partner. A platonic dance partner? <laughs> well, I never. <laughs> When I dance, I do the dance of love. <laughs> oh, God. Even if it's just for that one dance. <laughs> we form an intimate relationship for those three and a half minutes. Yeah, and at the end of the three and a half minutes, we have a big fight. <laughs> we have a big fight every time. <laughs> I am a lot of work. <laughs> I'm a nightmare. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick, Jedediah, Catherine, Ian, Sarah, Morgan, Ashley, Kevin, and Dan. Thank you so much for your support. means so much. It keeps this show running. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just want to thank a few more people quickly before we wrap it up this week. And these are great supporters of ours who have been on the shout-out level or above for three straight years. They're entering the Triptych Club. Uh, this club is it's, it exists in our hearts, but also in... An airport hangar in Spain. Spain. <laughs> yep. And it's uh, beautifully air-conditioned, don't worry. I know the Spanish heat. Yeah. Put some people off, but yeah, it's gorgeous. It's and it because it's an airport hangar. You know, we fly out private jets all the time. Yeah, to wherever you are. Yeah, if you're in the Triptych Club, you just you just call and we come get you. Yeah, there's an app yep. for it. You use the app. You you know when you sign up. <laughs> you get it. You get you get it. <laughs> uh, so in the club, um, yeah, people once you enter, you can never leave. It's sort of a, it's a real <laughs> real uh, hotel California yeah, sorry about that, scenario. Guys. Um, Hotel California. And uh, in this club, uh, it's, it's a it's a magical place. It's as big as you want it to be, as small as you want it to be. The uh, drinks list has grown every week. Mm. Uh, Jess adds all, adds to it every week, and uh, Dave always books a band to um, entertain. Who have you booked this week, Dave? Liza Minnelli. Liza oh. Minnelli. Egot yes. recipient from yes. Arrested Development. Yes. Uh, Her greatest role. Famous for. <laughs> Um, she's very funny. She's though. famous for introducing The Wizard of Oz uh, in 1959. Well, I mean, what, 60 million people watched it? So. Yeah. 56 or whatever. Um, and just <laughs> uh, by the bar. It got bigger every year, so I just put yes. the inflation. Thank you very much. Perfect. Fucking asshole. Um, <laughs> Wait, no, I, was, I wasn't... I wasn't going to go, me, not you. <laughs> so I thought you were correcting because I said 60 million. You fucking asshole. And you asshole. went, 56, actually. <laughs> no, I meant 1956. Oh, sorry. It was 45 million. It's beautiful. Yep. <laughs> if you want me to correct world. you. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, uh, can you edit out when I look like an asshole? Like an asshole? <laughs> and Big Jeff, love over here. Leave it all in. Jess is behind the bar. This week we have a um, – uh, I've set up a big display in the corner of the bar. It is entirely edible. The yellow brick road is made of bricks that are actually potato cakes. Oh, oh yeah, Really fun. All oh, the trees. Oh, that's made me instantly hungry for potato oh, cakes. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's get some potato cakes. Trees, everything, it's all edible. There's little mini Dorothy's made out of cake. <laughs> It's really fun. I want to eat a cake, Dorothy. There's a, is there any jelly? There's a uh, yes, but it is vegan. Do you know what Dorothy's last name is? Wasn't in the original book. It ah. came a little bit later. No, it's sort of. I think it's, it plays off a little bit. It's a weather-related name. 
I guess, based on the tornado, sort of gale. Oh, oh that's right. Gale. Right, yes. I was going to say uh, cold front. <laughs> <laughs> windy. Don't I was going to say El Nino. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Gell. <laughs> Weatherman from the 2000s and 90s. <laughs> what a specific reference. Oh, that sounds delicious. This because I think recent weeks you've been making uh, things that didn't sound very nice. So it's what great. What do you mean? <laughs> what? Some of them. Uh, one week you made poison. I'm working my ass off over <laughs> here. Yeah, but the poison tasted <laughs> fucking great. Poison has to taste great. My last word was delicious. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to read out these names. Uh, <clears throat> Dave hypes them up because Dave. This is the, be- the biggest reward in getting into this club is Dave wants you to feel good just before you see Liza Minnelli perform <laughs> That's right. and mingle with the other um, indu- uh, inductees yeah. who've come before you. Um, and then, of course, Dave is putting himself out there by hyping you up. So Jess comes in and gives Dave a little hype as well. I got so this, everyone Dave. feels good. Here we go, everybody. Woo, woo, woo. All right. Fire so about eight. Let's do it. Inductees today. You can today. do eight. Easy more, like, peasy. more like great. Am yes, I right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you're hot early. Right, that's, probably the, that's probably the peak, everyone. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You got this. All right. From Kotati in Canada, it's Nissa Hess. Ooh, well, sorry to borrow from your show, Jess, but simply the Hess. Yes. <laughs> uh, from Dave, this one means a bit to you. From Salford in Greater Manchester, Great Salford. Britain. Salford. Salford, oh. They'll get offended by that. Sorry, from, oh man. And Matt, isn't it funny that you particularly know that one? That would be true for all of them. You could correct me on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> say, sorry. Say it again. Salford. 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 From Salford in Manchester in Great Britain, it's Thomas Rees. Uh, one question, Thomas. Rees? Ling? Oh. <laughs> Have a drink. Have a drink here. Can I get you a Rees? Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> the wolves didn't work. Uh, the, the winkies didn't work. I'm sending in the Rees. The bees. <laughs> 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 Give back to Dave. No, yeah. that was fantastic. That was so funny. But it is Dave's time. Sorry, yes. No, honestly, right. if you can. No, Dave, All this right. is yours. Uh, from a place <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my younger years, uh, Colac. No, Colac. Please. <laughs> Colac in Victoria, Australia. It's Jen Connor. Ooh, Jen out of 10. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's nice. <laughs> yes. From Royal Oak in MI. Let's, I'm going to have to look that one up. In the United States, it's Calvin Parker. Ooh, Pucky, uh ass right here. Have a drink. Have a drink. Pucky your ass. Pucky your ass right here. Have a drink. Riesling. <laughs> it is, of course, Michigan, which is the first of the MIs. Makes sense. There's quite, I think there's four MI states there, aren't they? Mm. Michigan. Minnesota. Minnesota. Mississippi. Missouri. Um, <laughs> I, still, I still go through all the states to get to sleep at night. Um... <laughs> From, oh, I love this place, Boise, Idaho, it's Cody Kelshaw. Boise, Boise, Boise! <laughs> Cody boys, Kelshaw, boys, boys. incredible name Yeah, that's well. great, isn't it? Fantastic. There's a, a home renovation show, not a home reno- a renovation show uh, called The Boise Boys. Well, and they go around good. Boise and uh, they're these two guys that are so different from each other. It's sort of the concept, but clearly they're putting it on. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, from Manchester in... New Hampshire, New Hampshire, Dave Bedard. Dave Bedard. Uh, time to put the bad times to Bedard. Yeah. Dave's here. Dave's here. Good times only. 
from Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada. It's Rory Kumi. Kumi crazy. We're going to have a great time tonight. Yeah, it's Rory. Is that instead of call me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and from Potsdam in New York, it is in the United States. It's Kaylee Mayher. Potsdam. We're in for a good night. Yeah. Welcome in Kaylee, Rory, Dave, Cody, Calvin, Jen, Thomas and Nissa. Enjoy yourselves, make yourselves at home and have a great old time. And that brings us to the end of the episode, Dave. Jess, who wants to boot us home? I'll do it. Let me Woo! do it. Go for your life. Um, thank you so much for <laughs> listening to this week's episode. Uh, you can find us on socials at DoGoOnPod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Our website is DoGoOnPod.com. Um, and you know what? Just, just stick it to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We're, we're all fired up. We're inspired now. Yeah. yeah. I'm really... Believe in yourselves and stick it up them. Stick it up them. Yeah. That's all I have to say. But I I can't really boot at home because I have to say goodbye last. Okay. So I'll say thank you for that, Jess. Mm-hmm. Thank you to the listener for listening. And I'll also say goodbye. Bye. See, it just wouldn't work if I did that first. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.